If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and enter the mind of Rob Zombie. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast, and you've injured Rob Zombie Ween. It's time to get Foxy Foxy, hail Jesus Frankenstein, and jump into our Dracula as we begin tonight's feature. Time to meet the creeper in three, three from, from hell. hell. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third week of Rob Zombie Halloween. Say hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> is it cliche to do that at this point? <laughs> I think so, but hey, it's cool. Whatever it is, we're doing it. It is, uh, yeah, like I said, week three, and we are ending the Firefly trilogy today. It's so sad to say that we're doing that, right? But then again, this is the movie that we didn't even know was going to happen. That's true. It's so hard to say goodbye to the fireflies. <laughs> I'd buy that and use it as a ringtone. There we go. Only for you. <laughs> well, I mean, this is a, a bittersweet movie, if you think about it, because it's the very last performance of Sid Haig ever, and it came out three days after his death, which we recently, uh, at the time of this recording, we recently celebrated the one year of, um, and Rob Zombie put out a really great like social media post uh, about him and just what he meant to him. And I thought that was really cool. And it is, it, it sucks to have this be it because honestly, it's one of my favorite sets of lines in the movie. And even though he does look a little haggard, um, he delivers them with such gusto, which we'll definitely, you know, we'll definitely hear and talk about. That's right, man. He, he does it only as Sid Haig can do. Oh yeah. Like like if you were just to listen to him, like you would think that nothing was wrong and he was still good old Sid Haig. I mean when you hear it in here, maybe a little bit, but like when you see him on screen, you're like, Ooh, uh it's a I, I'm glad that they were able to, to, to do this and that he wanted to do it and was able to do it and you know, he, he's got such a long lasting legacy that uh, I think that this is a fine way for his legacy in film to end. I hear you, man. I think anybody who's joining us for Rob Zombie Ween is no stranger to Sid Haig and the insane library of things that he's contributed to. And yeah, it's definitely bittersweet that this is his last film. But at the same time, I don't know, man, like it's also it's kind of badass in a way because this was and Rob Zombie was 
kind of what resurrected his career. So in this mm-hmm. essence, even though it's very small, he still goes out with a bang. That's and he gets a very good tribute too towards the end of the movie. Yeah. And it's it's great. I mean, what I really like about this movie, and not to go all you know, gung ho, not say about this stuff at the end, because I always forget shit, but it's all the throwbacks to both of the movies that came before it. And it, and some of it's really, really subtle. And some of it's, you know, in your face, you know, you got your, your section with Sid Haig in, you know, Captain Spaulding. And even when they talk about him later, that's kind of in your face, but there's some little things that just things that pop up on the TV, things that are on the walls in some locations, there's all little throwbacks and even just small little like points of dialogue that just reference something really, really tiny, but it's like, oh yeah, hey, I remember that. I remember that from my house of thousand corpses. I remember that from the Devil's Rejects. And there's a great like tribute to Tiny as well. I think in this movie, awesome. This I have to say it breaks my heart. This was the one movie that I didn't get to really dive into and get like dig up all the trivia about because really i mean i haven't had the opportunity of listening to audio commentary yet i still need to track down a physical copy i only have the digital so i know there's a lot of nuggets out there that i haven't yet to discover but i will say if you just go out there and try to read you know imdb or wikipedia there is not much to this film to uncover no there's there's not a terrible amount of trivia out there there's some things here or there you know you've got little some of the trivia where it's like, did you know that so-and-so was played by this person? And it's like, come on. It's like, if you don't recognize D. Wallace in this movie, you've got problems. Right. <laughs> did you know this is the third installment in a trilogy? I'm like, skip, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but all good, man. You know, somebody out there might be discovering this trilogy for the first time. And dude, I, I got to know now. We know this movie did not have a large theoretical release. Yep. And correct me if I'm wrong. Did you see it or did you miss it? I'm going to say you missed it. No, I saw it. We so saw I'm it on, on yep. <laughs> You're awesome. dead wrong. This uh, podcast no. is great. We saw it on the second night. You saw it on the first night. And you got the cool little poster and everything like that. And then we saw it on the second night, didn't get shit, and got to have the, I think the second night had that little vignette at the end, but I think that was on the first night too, which was kind of like a making of. That was like the big thing. And I was like, that's, that's all we get? Like, you guys got to have leftover posters because I'm sure that not everybody around here went and saw Three from Hell. Couldn't just slide one over the counter and give it to us? What kind of theater was the one you went to? Like, I went to an AMC. What'd you go to? Uh, I want to say that we went to a Century Theater because the ones, cause I don't think the AMC around here was doing it. And the Fathoms are normally, were normally. Uh, over there at the Century Theater in uh, Union City. Not the one that we took you to go see it part two, but one that's like a little further down. Oh, that was even far in my opinion, but okay. That's because I live five minutes from my theater, I guess. Well, I mean, for us, the one there in Southland is, you know, five minutes from us normally. And this, this other one's like 10 minutes away from us. The AMC is like 15. Actually, it's kind of cool. The AMC is like five minutes from my job. So if I just want to go after work and see a movie. Oh, yeah right there she's like okay well there's one starting at 4 30 i'm getting off at four i can totally make that yeah and that's good if you plan to go next year is there any shit yeah. planning now <laughs> i know it's it's sad there's even around here like there are no theaters yet open in our area period like they haven't done anything yet they haven't tried anything yet i think we just went to code blurple is uh what we're on <laughs> right now um 
but probably maybe by the time that this episode releases, because, you know, we are pre-recording these, um, but by the time that the, the episode comes out, maybe we'll have more, because I'm really hoping that uh, theaters around here open up before Friday the 13th anniversary uh, showing happens, because I'd like that to go see that. Never seen it in a theater. Be great. Don't necessarily want to go to a drive-in, you know. Hey, I yeah. actually said drive-in, too, because I've been saying drive-through like crazy whenever I talk about the goddamn drive <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, check it out. The reason I asked what kind of theater you went to, because I went to the AMC and I was really big on going the first night because I wanted that poster. I'm a big 11 by 17 uh, poster collector. And that was like a no, I mean, that was a guarantee. Like I'm going night number one. And then night number two had the making of that you're talking about. And night number three was a double feature with Devil's Rejects. I was like, yeah, I would love to do that, but I'm getting old and I don't want to sit in a theater for six hours, whatever. Okay. (laughs) I read that certain Cinemark theaters, you ready? Mm-hmm. Gave away Rob Zombie designed bumper stickers. Oh. How cool is that? Could you imagine having a three from hell bumper sticker? That'd be pretty cool. That would have been better than the nothing that we got. Well, you got the movie. <laughs> we did get the movie and we got to see it, which was great. And there was a pretty decent sized audience. I don't know how big your audience was. I mean, the film itself was... Uh, it was done for $3 million and had a $2.2 million opening, or actually a $2 million opening for just those three days, which actually caused Fathom to do another showing in October, like the yep. second or third week in October, just for one more night to see if they could get it. And they didn't get anything, so ha. Yeah, it all went to Rob. <laughs> well, that's the, the kind of the cool thing about the Fathom stuff, because we also saw... Uh, the Jay and Silent Bob reboot when it came around as well. And we watched his little thing. He's like, the reason I'm doing Fathom is because I self-financed this whole thing and they're just going to put it out for me. And I'm the one that's, I have to promote it and I have to do this. So, you know, it's me doing everything and I'm going to get all the money basically. So as long as I make my money back, that's the worst Kevin Smith I could possibly do. uh, Then I'm all good. (laughs) Batman. (laughs) Hey, I'll tell you this, man. I love that you brought up that because uh, that first off, this isn't that podcast, but that was a great movie. I was so yeah. surprised in how much I loved that movie, but I love all of Kevin Smith's movies, but you know, that's so funny. Cause like Kevin Smith is my kind of comedy and Rob zombie is my kind of horror. Like those are two icons right there, man. So, you know, what's funny is that uh, Rob zombie, I think his next film is a comedy. Uh, and then it's called trapped is, is what it has at least on IMDb. Uh, and then, you know, that, uh, yeah, Kevin Smith did horror. So, you know, maybe yeah. you can get the best of both worlds from both of them. Hey, man, I laugh a lot at Rob Zombie movies anyway. So let's do it. <laughs> well, uh, so I guess that's kind of our experience with these films, right? Is just, hey, last year they came out uh, and uh, there was just a Fathom event. And we both happened to go and actually in- enjoy the movie. Uh, so the question again is going to hang on this and we've done this for the last two and we can do it for this one. Um, whose movie is this? Yeah. You know, the first one we said was Spalding's and the second one, I think we reluctantly still said that it, it could be Otis's, but maybe it's a little bit of babies too. A um, little more now for this one, who would you believe that this, whose movie is this? You want me to just give you the answer right now? You can just give me the answer and then there- we'll do the same thing at the end of it. We'll find out. Is it really that person's movie? You and I both know that this is without a shout of a doubt. Man, this is Baby's movie. Uh, yeah, this is the simplest question. <laughs> and it's not just because, like, 
you know, with the other ones, you could be like, well, there's some good scenes and there's some good portions to it, but there's a lot of focus on baby in this movie and her character growth. And it's honestly uh spoiler alert. Uh, she does not really annoy me in this movie. This movie, I've seen it three times now and it, I've already loved it, right? Like it was already a great movie for me, but I got to say the more that I watch it, I appreciate different things about it and her character alone. It grows on me more and more every time. Yeah. There, there might be a couple of little things that we'll talk about here or there, but overall, like, as an actress, I think Sherry Moon Zombie, this is kind of like her pinnacle. This is her, her most notable role, but really <laughs> this is her, I think, most well-acted role. Sure. You know, uh, there, there are a couple of the films, you might say Lords of Salem, and I would still say this. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> I know you do. Yeah. You know uh, me too well. Yes, I know. That's why I mentioned certain movies. Mm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, you want to just go ahead so we don't, uh, we're, we're trying to, we said this last two times, yeah. trying to keep it under three hours. Uh, so you want to just start and so that hopefully we can keep this under three hours? Let's do it. All right. So let's go ahead and start the movie. Now, do you know who is the person that's going to be speaking on this track at the beginning, the narrator of the movie? I don't. It's Barry Bostwick. Do you ever watch Spin City? <laughs> I know the show, but uh, I didn't watch it. But he, he's a famous actor. You know, he's uh, bigger in the 80s, some in the 90s. How are you um, going to call me out at the beginning of the podcast and already school me? Oh, well, there Which you go. Well, fine. I know, but you're probably going to school me somewhere later. So let's find out exactly how the Firefly, Firefly clan, Jesus fucking Christ, how they survived. This morning, the search for the fugitives known as the Devil's Rejects resulted in a violent clash with police. The three suspects connected to the House of 1000 Corpses murders were stopped dead in their tracks today. All three suspects remain in intensive care at Mercy of Christ Memorial. Doctors say chances for survival are less than a million to one. May 23rd, 1988. This is the day three of the most infamous outlaws in the history of American crime seemingly met their final fate. 20 bullet wounds apiece. No one would have thought it possible that a single body could survive such a devastating onslaught of destruction. But they did. Over the next year, the critically injured outlaws of mayhem found their way back to the land of the living. The ensuing trial would be the longest murder trial in American history. Perhaps because of the massive press coverage the rejects received, they became martyrs to the youth. So, they survived because they survived. That's it. I was like, I was really interested, you know, when I first saw this, like, how are they going to do it? What are they going to say? Like, you know, maybe they didn't get shot up as much. No, they took 20 bullets and they all just fucking survived. Yeah, I was wondering the same thing, because as we mentioned before on Devil's Rejects, like that end sequence is unbeatable. Like it's unmatched. It's a, oh, yeah. it's a pinnacle of horror movie endings, right? Or, or movie endings in general. It's it's up there in the top 10 list, man. It's just it's devastating and it's satisfying all in the same. And when we heard that we're getting a sequel, that's the one thing everybody wanted to know. How? Like, is it a prequel? Like, what's going to happen? And then to know that it's a million to chance one, but they were the one. And, you know, I was like, well, I mean. I'm sold because that, that's about as good as you're going to get. Yeah. 
And that's that's exactly what it was. They just like, look, I'm going to do this movie. I'm just going to say they did it. Now it's not like supernatural or whatever. They just said, hey, high probability that they're going to survive. And guess what? They survived. Yeah. So, and you know what? I think anybody who's watching this movie is completely okay with it. Oh, yeah. Because I was just like, okay. No, let's just, yeah, let's just roll. Let's roll with it, baby. So as we continue, then that's when they start interviewing people. Now, what I liked about this, and, and we'll, I'll play the clip, but uh, before we get into it, because the ending of, of The Devil's Rejects is really like a Bonnie and Clyde type ending, right? Car yeah. gets shot up, and there's bullets flying everywhere. They're supposedly dead, and that's how we're leaving it. But then it's like because they survived, they get the Bonnie and Clyde start as we go into what the popular opinion is. Do you, do you agree? I completely agree, and I think it's awesome. So let's go ahead and listen, because I think my favorite ones out of the ones that they talk to people is right in the beginning when they talk about Captain Spaulding. I think it's all a big conspiracy. They know that Captain Spaulding is the man, and they know that he knows what this country needs, you dig? Spaulding says, fuck you and your system. I'm in control. I don't believe she did it. It is obvious to me that she is not capable of those things. No way. Baby. Oh, man. She's got it going on, you know? I mean, I like the way that she moves. It's it's like she's floating on a cloud or something. She's amazing. It's going to be on the TV. <laughs> I mean, I can go this is sexy. You know, I mean, I know he's a bad man and he's done some bad things, but, like, I date him. You wanted the goddamn boogeyman in your sunny little lives. Well, you got him. There's no fucking justice in this world. I am justice. They're trying to blame us, but we didn't do it. Free the three. 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 So the the throwback, the reason I love the Spalding one, because it throws back to Sid Haig's exploitation films that he was a part of. Like, it, it just gives me that feeling right away. Yeah. Yeah, that, well, the time period's right for it, too. Yeah, because this is supposed to be early 80s. Well, I think it's like 88, if I'm not... Well, I don't know what this time period... I know that when the movie starts to go, it's supposed to be like the night of in um, 88, but this may be days to weeks to months before, you know, as they're doing the trial thing. Yeah, because when we're introduced into the the prison, well, into the scene with baby's parole, we see Ronald Reagan on the walls as the president of the United States. So you know that it's in the 80s, and that when time goes forward... From this point, it's 10 years later from wherever the once we get past this point. And you know what's really amazing is that from Devil's Rejects to now, it was like 14 or 15 years later. Oh, yeah. The sequel came out. Yeah. And I think doing something like that definitely gives your characters the chance to age. Right. Because they all definitely look a lot older than they actually are. Um, And it's hard, though, because when you get to. The, the Spalding scene coming up, he's really the one that shouldn't have aged so much. But of course, you know, Sid Haig looks like he's aged a lot. Yeah. So we get the popular opinion. We get the, uh, you know, the girl that's in love with Otis for some reason. I, like that okay. still gets me like, it's okay. I date him. I'm like, really? Have you, have you seen what Otis looks like? Like, are you, Do you cool? not agree with her, Brian? I mean, Otis is the man. Did you in this movie when he's rocking them tidy whities I'm just saying. Oh Jesus! I was worried that it. You know, at one point when you see it, I was like, "Is that the tip or is that the tip?" Oh, it's the gun. Okay, we're good. 
<laughs> I did the same. <laughs> That's awesome. But hey, it, just a flashback. Um, Devil's Rejects, you know, waking up in his tidy whities. So I don't right. you think it's the same pair. I don't know. Oh, it could be. But there's definitely <laughs> something going on with that gut that he, he's uh, sporting <laughs> as we get later on into the film. So we find out that there's a, a reporter there inside of the, the jail. We actually get to meet the warden real fast. And the warden, um, uh, I forget the name. His exactly. actual name or the warden's name? The, not the warden's name, but the uh, actor's name. Because he's oh, also a, Jeff Daniel Phillips. That's right. He's also in Thirty One. He is, and you know, and he's also in Lords of Salem that's and Halloween too. And he is very tall in real life. Yes, he even looks very tall here. But he's got that what kind of weird like look? He's got that mustache, but he's got like the teeth. Yeah, out. It's like You're angry. Hey, nice talking to you. Almost like he's a fucking squirrel all the time. He's made to look like a poindexter in this movie, man. But I think that he is really great. If there's one thing I have to say is that all the actors in this movie, with kind of the exception of one, uh, but I give her a pass, are, are all pretty good. I'm just staring at you and I'm like, I wonder who he's talking about. Oh, well, we'll get to her when we get to her. Right. Um, <laughs> but in general, I think that everybody does their role pretty well. So we get to meet the warden and we get to see, you know, he's the one that's going to be in charge of them. And he basically is kind of, kind of calling them the devil. You know, they're, they're not going to be doing shit under me, you know? And we see that there's a guy that's interviewing from whatever news program or newspaper or whatever article that he's writing. And he gets to sit down a little bit and we get the last words of Captain Spaulding. Uh, thank you for taking the time to do this. You ready? I ain't getting any younger. You dressed as a clown, but behind that colorful facade of joy lurks something much darker. Who is the real Captain Spaulding? <laughs> Goddamn boy, could you get more dramatic? Well, what I ain't is the fantasy created by the injustice system and all them apes. That's all on them. So you're saying... I'm saying I'm just a clown dancing for the fucking man. A dancing clown that's been convicted of 38 murders. I'm gonna slap the shit out of you. Let me put it to you this way. What's the difference between a dead squirrel laying in the road and a dead clown laying in the road? Yeah, I don't understand the question. Do I stutter? I don't know. There's skid marks in front of the squirrel. You roll that around in your coconut for a while, big shot. So you think you were railroaded by the system because you're a clown? I am what they make me. I'm your bozo Jesus hung out to dry for the sins of mankind. Oh, fuck. All hail the man behind the grease paint. (laughs) So I absolutely love it. It's it's good lines. It's a good delivery. Yeah, you do kind of you know hear the oldness there in the voice, but in general, it's it's a great scene. Even the look in his eyes and the way that it gives him, you know, convincing the guy that you know I, he believes that he's right. You know? Yeah, and well, like we said before, you know, Sid he sells it and he always will. And the point I want to make to people who may not have seen this movie as you're watching the trilogy, you know, he was already old when he did house of a thousand and then here we are many years later and the guy if you didn't know that he was sick in real life you would think he was just old because sid Haig, no matter what role he does he always 100 percent delivers 
Oh yeah. And it's absolutely perfect for what he's doing in the scene. And I like the intimidation factor that he's giving to the guy too. Like he's still able to like put it on him. Like, look, I could just reach over this table and fucking kill you. Like I should slap you. (laughs) I love (laughs) it. And you know, that guy who's doing the interviewing, um, not a huge actor, but he has been in some Rob Zombie movies before. If I'm not mistaken, I think he's in 31. I didn't fact check it, but I'm pretty sure. That he's in 31 as well? Mm-hmm. Is he one of the bad guys? Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe he's one of the, the two clowns? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think I know which ones you're talking about. I think you do. <laughs> I think we're all of a sudden my accent's going to change in the middle of this podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm, sugar. I think I know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to start working at a Waffle House or some shit. Hey, hey, uh, I love Waffle House. Calm down. Well, see, then then I'll be there. And I can watch okay. all the fights that go down at the same time. You know, I've been to Waffle House <laughs> like 20 or 30 times in my life, and I've never had the waffles. Never once. How do you go to Waffle House and not have the waffles? And see, this is how we get off track. But please answer the question. It's important because they have this really awesome double patty melt sandwich. And hash browns, because they don't have fries, right? But they have Mr. Pib on top on tap. It's so good. And then they got A1 sauce on the table. I mean, you want to go to a greasy diner? You go to a Waffle House. You know, you step on the bug when you walk in, and you sit down and you eat. Yeah, see, this is what the West Coast is missing. Missing that greasy diner. Well, I mean, we have them around here. We actually have one relatively close by. But there isn't, like, a chain of greasy diners that we need. Everybody get on board the uh, Waffle House chain. Hey, man, I got a Waffle House this way and a Waffle House that way. When you come down, we're going to go. Oh, so it's like the Starbucks of the South? It is. (laughs) (laughs) But we got those two. So from here, we go and we see this guy uh, to get back on track. Uh, We see that now he's interviewing Otis, and Otis gives him uh, a little bit of intimidation, I'd say. Otis, the most dangerous man alive. He's nothing. He's like the rest of the lifers rotting in the cages here. Bunch of nothings. Yeah. I think I know what you're looking for. We're just looking for the truth. You wouldn't know the truth if I crammed it down your fucking throat. Boy, you're marked. Christ, you're already dead. You just don't know it. The truth is the truth. The truth is a fucking knife. It cuts deep and it cuts both ways. Which end of the buck knife are you holding? The handle or the blade? You don't even know. So what do you want? Shall I break down in tears and confess my sins to the holy fucking pussy of the virgin? I'm not a bad man. I'm just another lost soul searching for forgiveness in this wicked, wicked world. (sighs) Hello, America. Did you miss me? I am Satan's destroyer. I am the eternal flame of salvation burning through your life, your liberty, and your pursuit of fucking happiness. I suggest you get ready to burn, motherfucker. 
That is the favorite word of the movie. It sure is. Oh my gosh, we should we should have ran a counter. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> Did, let me tell you something. You talk about how amazing Sid Haig's dialogue is, mm-hmm. and I'm on the other side of the spectrum where I completely agree with you, as you would me. I love Otis's dialogue in all these movies. Like each character is so amazing for their own reasons, but it's like a tug of war contest over who delivers the best lines. Oh yeah. I think everybody gets some really awesome lines in this movie. Otis definitely over the course of all three movies, he's got kind of the, the biggest I'd say impact lines of the film that even if he's not on scene or he's he's on the scene, he's going to have one part of his speech. That's really like just has a giant impact. And the way that it gets delivered by Bill Mosley is just like, it feels like it's perfect. Again, I'm going to be gushing about fucking Bill Mosley in another fucking movie, but that's just the way that it's going to be because he's just, every time that he's on screen, you, you know, he's a bad guy, but here's this charismatic, like, Oh my God, this is great. Love yeah, it. And he hits you with those Bella Lugosi eyes, man. Oh yeah. Oh, so good. Oh, calm down. <laughs> you guys can't see it, but Brian's heart just beat like three extra times when I said Bela Lugosi. That's right. You know, between him and the Gill man, <laughs> kickstart my heart. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so from here we, we go over and we see that, uh, Captain Spaulding, he has been put to death, right? And that's how they kind of write him out of the movie. And that, and and it was one of those things where I was kind of like, yeah, I know what's going to happen. I mean, because again, Sid Haig died a couple of days before the movie was done. But a lot of the teaser trailers kind of led you to believe that he was going to be in it quite a bit more, and he is in it for ten minutes. Well, that's because originally he was going to be in it more. I mean, oh, yeah. We were teased so much in the posters and everything, but because oh, yeah. of his declining health, you know, Rob Zombie went and visited him and noticed this. He's not going to be able to do this. And so he, I'm so happy they didn't just shut down the film. And oh, yeah. I love what they did. Like, I would have wanted Sid Haig more, but what they chose to do in this, I was completely on board with, especially because we get an actor who we're already familiar with, if you're familiar with the Rob Zombie world. But I got to say, man, I mean, I remember when I saw it in theater, just like you, I was ready for it. I knew it was going to happen. And, and I was like, okay, well, hey. And, you know, some people like grunting around me because they don't know and they, they were let down. And rightfully so, I get it. But it bugs me when people actually get really mad about it. And I'm like, look, man, like this is the Sid Haig. He, he's in the movie, at least. Like he you, he delivered. And I got to say, watching it again, he, this is going to sound funny. He was in it more than I remembered. Yeah, I mean... It, it seems like it, like he, he definitely had a lot of, of uh, you know, shots all the way up. And then the thing is, is that the images that Rob used for the poster were actually the same shots from uh, Devil's Rejects, right? For the wanted, the, the mug shots. Oh, the mug shots were great. Yeah. And, and was, so it's. I was going to talk about the, um, the other poster. Did you see it's the Helter Skelter one? I, I don't know if I've seen that one. If you'll, you Google it, you'll see what it is. And it's got the three sets of eyes. And then one of them is Sid Haig's in the middle. So, yeah, it's, it's basically all three of them again. Mm-hmm. And just, fo- it, now is it, I, maybe I have seen that one. Is that the one that's the eyes from the mug shots or they're separate eyes? It might be, but they're stacked on each other, you know? Yeah, they're like yeah. three down. Yeah. And then, then there's like it's a the heart totem pole there at the hell. bottom. <laughs> 
But it's it's still like, okay, yeah, it's kind of bittersweet. And he's the only one that dies, basically, from this. And uh, we, we then go ahead and move ahead in the future, right? Uh, and we're now we've gone 10 years. They've been in prison for quite some time. And we see that uh, Otis, he's going to be taken out into the fields to basically do grunt prison work, right? He's going to be on the side of the road and he's going to, you know, do what what normally does. And he sees somebody in the, the truck that's traveling with him that he recognizes. But that person doesn't recognize him. And that is Danny Trejo's character from the last film. Yeah, dude. I don't think he was advertised much or at all. Because no. I remember when I saw him on the, I was just like, what is happening? <laughs> oh, yeah. We were all surprised. We're like, okay, well, this is kind of cool. You know, maybe there's going to be something more. But what kind of got me was that the fact that he did not recognize Otis. Yeah. And that's well, a little weird. It is a little weird. It's a little far-fetched. But at the same time, he was a contracted killer who's probably killed dozens of people he's not going to remember everything and though we saw the event as something eventful it may have been another night in paradise for him but i'll say we talk about how the characters have aged my goodness trejo is getting up there he is and you know if you haven't seen it yet and you can watch the documentary about his life that is it's called number one convict i believe uh pat and i watched it man it is a good ass documentary and he definitely is looking his age but what he he does for his neighborhood and he tells the story how he got to where he is, how he got in his first movies, you know, because he spent a long time in prison. And I mean, a long time in prison. And eventually he he started memorizing lines from The Wizard of Oz while he was in prison. And that's how he started getting his acting shops. Nice. Where's, um, where's that available? Where can we, you, you can watch it. I think you can still rent it on Amazon Prime. Okay. Uh, and it's it's on a couple other different streaming sites that you can see it. It's really cool. It's um, you know, for I know Patrick, he said that a lot of what the relationship between Trejo and his dad was kind of if he felt like it was him and his dad, you know, and just, just seeing that and seeing a uh a big, you know, Chicano man, this 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 intimidating guy that has just said no, you know, doesn't say no to any role. You know, he's sure. he is the Vincent Price of our day. And that's sure what, is. what uh, you know, Pat and I said at the end of watching, I'm like, man, because he really, he does not say no to anything. It's just, okay, how much does it pay? Okay, I'll do it. Like, he doesn't care. T- stereotype me, typecast me. I don't care. You know, and he's had some great and memorable roles. Fucking love half of the Unholy too, Brian. That's right. Well, poor Trejo. Um, I feel like he gets put out like a bitch in this movie. It's... <laughs> When I watched it again, I was excited to see him. And yeah, I I wondered why they went ahead and put him in here anyway. Was it just because? Well, we know why as we get towards the second half of the movie. But let's just go ahead and, well, let's get to his demise. The following piece of film is the only clue that police have concerning the escape of Otis Driftwood. Viewer discretion is advised. <laughs> Who are you? Payback's a bitch, motherfucker. (laughs) Public enemy number one, motherfucker! 
this man is Winslow Foxworth Coltrane, a.k.a. the Midnight Wolfman, and the half-brother of Otis Driftwood and Baby Firefly. The Driftwood escape left a horrifying crime scene of death in its wake. As of the airing of this program, Otis Driftwood is still at large. Incredible savings to half off and more on living rooms, bedrooms, and dining rooms. Lay away free for up to a year. I look like a fucking stooge! Bam! He escapes on camera with a massacre to rub in my face. Christ, Virgil, it wasn't your fault. I know that. Of course it ain't. I know that. You know that. But the illiterate public doesn't. Do you think Mom, Pa, Kettle reading about those dead fucking prison guards is going to pin the blame on them? No. They're fucking heroes! So, I wanted to include that little bit with the warden at the end just because kind of the juxtaposition of the, the two types of characters and the fact that there's this cheery ass fucking commercial that happens at the end of the escape <laughs> of Otis where he's calling then and that's three so far. We got three motherfuckers in this uh movie so far. Uh but it's just like okay, that's a weird transition. It is, but it's one that only Rob Zombie would make, right? Like it flows so well in the context of the kind of movies he makes where we're so how do I say we're not affected by the violence in these things here. Right. And so it flows naturally for most of us. Yeah, pretty much. And it just kind of goes, and it's kind of exactly like the characters themselves. Cause they go from being extremely violent to being extremely happy and funny. Yeah. And, and again, just like we talked in the devil's rejects, there's going to be a lot of similarities when the family gets back together. So from here, we now go and we see that they're outside after kind of the big escape has happened, right? And so we see the Midnight Wolfman and Otis, and they're talking with each other. And, you know, Otis is so glad to get out that everything tastes really fucking good. Is it just me, or are these the greatest fucking beans on earth? It's just you. Takes a while to get that prison slop out of your taste buds. You got that right. So how do you figure we go about doing this? Well, I've been stewing about it 24-7 for about an eight ball. I got some thoughts. Whitey, man, we've been creeping around this fucking place for a month. Suicide. Patience, brother, patience. You know, I've been running that movie, The Desperate Hours, through my head over and over again. Remember that shit? Not really. It's a fucking Bogart movie. I always like Cagney better. He's a tough fucking little shit. Come on and take it, you dirty little yellow belly rider. I'm going to give it to you through the door. (laughs) (laughs) So lay it on me. Now, I can only assume in this scenario I'm Bogart. Listen, sweetheart, here's the plan. You know, enough of these lousy impressions. Lousy impressions? How can you be fucking Bogart when you don't even know the fucking plan? I'm a lot more fucking Bogart than you are. Well, fuck you. You are as delusional as fucking ever. Fine, fuck whatever, man. Fuck, you can be Bogart. Just what are we going to do? I say we make a house call. So I, I like the way the scene is, and we get kind of really introduced to Robert Brake's uh, Winslow, 
or Richard the Midnight Brake. Movement. Richard Brake. Why do I want to keep saying Robert for some yeah. fucking reason? But Richard Bob, Brake. Bob Brake? No. <laughs> Dick Brake. Dick Brake. <laughs> That's even worse. Uh, well, you know. But, but Richard Brake here uh, is, again, I think he does a, a great performance, and he is a great replacement. I don't want to say replacement. Replacement. Stand-in. Stand-in or addition to the yeah. Firefly clan. Now, it's a little cheesy that it's, oh, it's another half-brother. Like, how many half-brothers are there in this fucking family? Yeah, we know how Otis was, so, you know. Yeah. So you you have, you know, Baby, and then Otis is her half-brother, right? And then, because he doesn't have the same last name as she does. she is She's Firefly, you know, and he's Driftwood. Otis uh, Driftwood. That's yeah. right. And then Winslow here. Uh, Winslow is Foxworth. And so we had tiny and all kinds. I mean, shit. yeah, we had all kinds of half people and tall people and clown people up in this family. Dude, Richard Brake is such an awesome actor. Like, it's so cool to see him. I, we know they're the bad guys in this movie, but at times it's almost like they're playing cool guys. You know what I mean? Like they're the good guys to us in a sense. Cause we're kind of, they win us over just like devil's rejects. We're rooting for the bad guys in a sense. And it, Richard Brake, you know, he was in Halloween 2, he's in 31, he's in mm-hmm. this, and I love that he's just a part of the Rob Zombie family, and I hope to see him in many more movies going on, but like you said, like, if we couldn't have Sid Haig, this, to me, this was, like, the next best thing, like, okay, we're gonna bring in Richard Brake, and I'm like, awesome, like, I'm on board with this, and just seeing that, and this is one of my two absolute favorite scenes in the whole movie because everybody knows I'm a classic movie guy. I own the Desperate Hours on VHS. Humphrey Burger is my favorite actor. And so I knew this entire scene, what they were talking about. And I remember sitting in the theater like, I'm like, this is brilliant. This is why I love Rob Zombie. Oh, and here I thought it was because you love beans. No, beanie, huh. beanie weenies are great. No lie. <laughs> but, but they make you toot. <laughs> well, they are musical fruit. Uh, but... <laughs> stupid puns <laughs> but the the whole scene that we've got set up here i feel like like you said it's really good because it's like a family quarrel like two brothers just arguing i want to be bogart you you can't be bogart because you don't you're too stupid you're a dummy head you know and it's like okay these guys are also ruthless fucking killers but here they are arguing like little fucking kids and just doing the family thing once again you know and it's it's funny with uh, with Richard Brake here because you know my first interaction with him honestly is Doom, you know, and I hated him in that movie, hated him so much. And here and in other films, and we'll talk about him a lot when we talk about with him our next movie, which we'll find out at the end of the podcast. Uh, but he's just he's so good, like he's become like a fine wine. He's aged as an actor so well that I, I absolutely love him now. And if I see him in something, I have to see what the movie is. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a perfect mixture. I mean, <laughs> we know the next movie we're going to do is not Doom because you already did Doom on your show. So <laughs> already you went did through Doom. that torture. <laughs> and, and also, that's not, uh, you know, Rob Zombie's Doom. Because <laughs> we're oh. keeping up with the Halloween theme. Dude, if Rob Zombie did a Doom movie, I would be there opening day that sounds awesome so they basically that we are left at the end of the scene with they're going to make a house call so we don't know exactly what is coming for our you know our anti-heroes i guess we're going to have to call them i guess uh, and, so 
and what's going to happen with the the victims in this film. So from here we cut over and it's basically like the next day. And it's weird too. I, I should also mention that they say they've been on the run for what seems like a month. So from the point that he escaped to wherever it is, they've been trying to figure out how to get baby out of prison for the past month. Yeah. Yeah. They've just been high, laying low, man. Jeez. They know how to run. Uh, <laughs> They know when it, they've been listening to a lot of fucking Kenny Rogers is what it is. Oh. <laughs> so next day we go over and this is where we get baby's parole hearing. And uh, is there anything that you want to say about the parole hearing before we get into it? I had a feeling it was going to go a little something like this. All right. Well, let's see how it goes. So we're just going to, you know, just just dr- jump right to something that gave us grave concern. Since your time of incarceration, you've had uh, uh, 157 violations. The 158. Re- 158. Okay. Yep. 158. Of the most recent being, you know, you were found in possession of a uh, inmate manufactured uh, weapon. Uh, one second. Do you understand that these statistics do not reflect positively on these proceedings? Look, Sue. I gotta do what I gotta do. My rolls, or the Grim Reaper comes a rolling through in a big black Cadillac. Hey, bitch, hop in! <laughs> you did. <laughs> yes, I um, I believe I do. Uh, take a look at these. Oh, a little closer, please. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh. Do you have anything to say regarding these photographs? Yeah, you can't bring the past back up and prostitute that mock-up as a picture of something that happened a hundred years ago. (laughs) You think this happened a hundred years ago? You can only live in the now. Do um, you believe you're uh, suitable for parole? I mean, look at me. Really fucking look at me. I'm fine. I'm fine. Do you think that you are um, ready to walk out that door, walk onto the street, and live a productive life? Yes. If down the line the opportunity for parole presented itself and you were given a parole date, what would your plans be? Oh, woo-hoo! Whoopee! I'd be Snow White in the forest, playing with all the animals. I'd play with the bunnies. Whistle while I work. Prisoner is denied parole for five years, at which time the case will be reviewed. That's cool. So, this scene is, it's so good in the way that, the thing is, is that, like, Baby's annoyed me before, but 
I really feel that she is, it's a mixture of baby and mother firefly. Yes. hundred percent. It's, she's just channeling it like that. She's aged that she's becoming. And there's even that scene later on with D Wallace that uh, it's unfortunately a clip that I did not include in here uh, just because like, it's, I feel like it's a little better to talk about than just to hear the whole thing. But that one specifically mirrors what Mother Firefly did in The Devil's Rejects with our, our good sheriff, uh, but this time with D. Wallace's character. Something with cops, man. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know what it is. <laughs> but she's just, like, she's crazy without thinking that she's crazy. You know? It's like she abides the idea that she's innocent. Like, free the three. They didn't do it. She's like, yeah, that wasn't me. We, we didn't do it. But yeah. yet, in this whole movie, she does nothing to help her case. Like, oh, no. 157 kills. Oh, it's actually 158. Get it right. Yeah. We you also get her. I was saying we she, also get our fourth motherfucker in that scene, too. We do. And, Brian, there's one thing that you have to know where she stands. You can't bring up old shit. Oh, that's true. 100 years ago. <laughs> Something that happened like 100 years ago. <laughs> it's like, you think that happened 100 years ago? That was like five days ago when you slaughtered those prison inmates because you were found with a shank. Yep. It, it, it's just, it's absolutely nothing. And then just the, I like the way the sound design is done in this scene too, because you have all those whispers and everything that are kind of, but it's more mass like the music. And so when they ask her, do you think that you're ready to go outside? And you hear in that, you hear, yes, like very like lightly. And, and, and the, the thing is, is I don't think that you get that sound design without headphones, like, or in a big theater. If you're just watching it on TV, like, unless you got a really kick-ass surround sound system, I don't know if that necessarily comes out because you can really hear it with just the headphones on. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't watch this movie with headphones on, so I didn't hear the whispers. So that's really cool. It's something I'll go back and look at. Um, but you mentioned the music. Dude, just listening to these clips with you and hearing them in my headphones, the music is so John Carpenter esque, mm-hmm. like Assault on Precinct Thirteen, The Thing, just that boo doo, just those solid beats, you know, and the eerie music in the background. I'm just loving what they're doing with this. Yeah, it's it's really amazing that like he with with all three films, it's all keeping within those time frames and how the style of the movie that he wants because this is kind of like I don't know like. Uh, an 80s gritty exploitation type movie that you've got going on where the the devil's rejects was a lot more of that you know grindhouse type of crime movie i'd almost say still horror but it's still you know it's got that that crime aspect to it yeah definitely man and there's some scenes in here that use broad daylight and they still give you a slither of that 70s feel yeah but yeah totally with the 80s vibe and so She's denied uh, bail, and so out comes the the prison guards to come and grab her. And what does she do? She headbutts one of the prison guards right in the fucking face, and it's uh, it's just blood everywhere. And then they take her away, like you said, not helping her case at all. No, man, and that's the difference between I don't know a normal functioning person of society. Like they want to get out; they're going to be on their best behavior to do all things. And the thing about Baby's character that I love so much is completely unpredictable. Like, you, she could do anything at any point, and it would not surprise you because you you just wait for the insanity to take its course. Oh, yeah. And so 
Now, if I'm not jumping correctly here, either we go back to Otis or we go on to uh, Baby in, in her jail cell. Roll with it. <laughs> All right. Well, we're just going to roll with it. Um, so uh, let's go to – so from here, we're going to say that we're going to go to Baby in her jail cell. Now, again, this is a movie that's still relatively new to me, so if my mind skips and I went out over to a different scene, please excuse me, but we're going to get the whole goddamn movie in here regardless of what it is. But so we see baby, she's in solitary confinement, basically for what she did. Right. And she's then confronted by D Wallace's guard. And D Wallace is the one that I feel is not the best in this film. I mean, she's, she's okay, but it's just like, it's just, just missing something. Like it doesn't seem as earnest. It almost seems like it's a little phoned in. It is definitely phoned in. Uh, D. Wallace is not a stranger to the horror genre, especially oh, yeah. Rob Zombie. Like she was in his Halloween movie and everything. But I don't know. She was nominated for a supporting actress award for this movie for some sort of like fright award thing. And again, nominated, not one. And I'm with you. It was great to see her because that we all know the thing that Rob Zombie does is he recycles his actors. He uses has-been horror actors. He gives them limelight again, and he makes us really happy. So anytime you watch a Rob Zombie movie, it's so fun to be like, count everybody you recognize, right? And so yep. as soon as you see D. Wallace pop up, you're like, awesome, there's D. Wallace. But the character that she's playing, it doesn't allow her to be nothing more than just the prison guard. You know, there's nothing yeah. else she could really do. And she does fine at it, but there's no chance to shine here. No, and it, it, it's just, oh, she's just a bitch of a prison guard. Like she has something against her because she's the person that she is, that she is this evil, you know, woman and she deserves what she gets. And so she's going to make a life hell. And so what does she do? She decides to take her out of solitary confinement and then throw her in an area where it's going to be, it, it feels like she's going to the showers. Like this is fucking caged heat or something like that, <laughs> that we've got going on and that, you know, Hey, we're going to throw her in the shower so she can get, you know, butt raped by an inmate or something like over here. But honestly, what she does, she throws her in an area where she can lock her up and have two other inmates that have been wanting to get at baby and basically have them beat the shit out of her. Or it almost feels like that they were meant to kill her. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And who knows which way it was going to go. Had the inmates uh, kill baby, it was a scene where D. Wallace's character, she's just going to pin it off you know her name's Greta oh, yeah. in this movie by the way and she acts like a fucking Greta whatever that means <laughs> but <laughs> but dude I just I love the way the scene is set up because we all know what's happening and we're like okay what's really gonna go down and when the opportunity presents itself it's totally in baby's favor oh yeah and I do like the way that it's it's done because you know she's the only one that you hear right and it sounds like she's getting hurt or you know it's it's whatever but Honestly, she's the one that's on the attack. And so it's almost like there's a methodical nature to her making those sounds to make her believe that she's the one being attacked, but baby's just beating the living shit out of them and, and gutting them, basically. Yeah, well, if you played the, the audio, one dude, if you played the audio for this clip, you would just hear whoosh, whoosh, like the knife just stabbing oh, yeah. and people getting written blood. Ah, hitting floor. And it's ah, a, Rob Zombie does such a good way of implying the violence and then showing you the aftermath and it is brutal oh yeah and then what was written on the floor is like greta you bitch something yes. like that <laughs> and it was a hard <laughs> yeah yeah and it was all written in their blood and one girl's got her intestines all hanging out 
And the other one's all just like, how did you manage to pull that all out? I know that one of them probably brought a prison shank and that's what you probably used. But, you know, I think one pulls out something like a, almost like a wine corker or whatever you call those things. Yeah. Corkscrew. And that's something that Baby does in this movie a lot is she always leaves her calling card in some shape, way, or fashion. And because uh, she does that later with something else and again later with something else um, <laughs> that we'll, we'll get to. And remember back to House of a Thousand Corpses when we had the body in the trunk? Yep. Trick or treat was written. So I'm just, hey, maybe baby did that. <laughs> yeah, probably. And so, uh, you know, D. Walls, Greta comes back to the, the area thinking that everything's done the way that she wants to. And then she sees that baby has survived. And she's like, oh, you bitch. <laughs> you know? That's like the most, I think, that you get out of Wallace in this movie, and it sucks. Um, and so now we go over and we see, you know, the Midnight Wolfman over here, Winslow. Winslow is such a difficult name to fucking remember. Like, all I think of is Winslow from the uh, fucking... Family Matters? Police. No, I was thinking about oh. uh, Police Academy movies. Oh, Michael we Winslow. Named- we just named two different Winslows, so... You know. That is true. I forgot that the Family Matters dad, that they were the Winslows. Yep. But I, I always think about Michael Winslow, you know, the guy that can make all the different noises with his mouth. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, just like in Spaceballs, so the sweeps, the creeps, and the beeps. Yeah, well, you would talk about Spaceballs again. <laughs> of course I would talk. I will talk about Spaceballs whatever the hell I want to. Um, <laughs> it's... No. It's it, still you have Winslow and he's sitting out there or standing out there, and then he's approached by a couple of hikers that think that they've caught him, but uh, get the tables turned on them. That's the one they call the Midnight Wolf Man. You folks are mistaking me for someone else. Oh, I know a convict spewing convict bullshit when I see one. I bet you're worth something dead. Oh no, he's worth more alive. You need to just sit and think for a second. There ain't nothing to think about. I was thinking you could think about a nice big pair of juicy titties. What? Like your sister wife's titties. They're a good fucking pair. What are you getting at? So imagine her titties sitting there, a group of men sitting around, jacking off over them, jizz going everywhere. Maybe one of them sits down and shits on her. Now, I ain't into shitting on people, but maybe he's into shitting on her. And he shits all over another couple guys pissing on her because that's the kind of thing people are into. shoot him. Shoot him now. They don't normally do when they got a pair of titties like that. Okay, lady. Put the gun down nice and slow. Shit, man. Mention a pair of titties and every fucking asshole forgets what he's doing, huh? <laughs> Are you fucking crying? I ain't crying. I got a piece of fucking skull in my eyes. Shit hurts. Man, you sure can't bitch a song about nothing. Uh, see? Fucking skull. Please, <laughs> beg you, please. Just let me go. Give me go and I won't, I won't. I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. It's a nice knife. <laughs> Is it sharp? Why? Trust me. You really don't want to know. <laughs> so what were we doing again i i heard big old titties and i totally forgot what we were I'm doing thinking about shitting on somebody oh that's that's 
might be a little bit too much. Nope. <laughs> Some people are into that. Not me, though. <clears throat> oh, okay. So podcast. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Podcasting about big old titties. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, I, 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 the, the whole scene is ridiculous. Okay. But it's just a matter of the fact that, like, even fucking Otis says it here, that he just starts spinning this yarn. And he is able to distract him enough for Otis to come in and save the day. Yeah, he he proves that he's kin, man. Like, he's able to, uh, you don't pull shit or bullshit, man. And Richard Brake's delivery is on the nose on this. I, he, we've said this about every person in every Rob Zombie movie, but he looks like he is having so much fun. Oh, yeah. He's definitely having the most fun. I think that all three of them are having a ton of fun in this movie. And you can see it. Like it, it, you can see it on Sherry Moon Zombie's face. You can see it on Robert Brake's face. You can even see it on Otis's face when he's trying to be big old tough guy. He still looks like he's having a loads of fun doing it. Who's Robert Brake? I'm curious. Oh, Richard Brake. God damn it! <laughs> I'm just I'm gonna do that to you throughout the movie. Every man, fucking but... day. so we're gonna count this. So there's gonna be a motherfucker counter going on and a Robert, Robert Brake. Brake. <laughs> fucking going on see when i do it myself then i just live with the the fact and somebody else can message me probably patrick um well if it's a back in time podcast then i'd be messaging them because apparently that's that's what i do that's right it's okay because we're all part of the sip network so whatever yeah that's the way it goes so from here then we go back over to the jail and we see that uh you know baby she's getting worked on right she's sitting in the chair because she got slashed on the face she's got a giant gash and she's there just kind of i don't know hanging out and then the warden comes in and the warden wants to know exactly who like let her out so that this happened and we get a very interesting story here so before i go and play through this how did you feel about this scene it's an interesting explanation that I don't know if I picked up on, or maybe I didn't put too much into it, because when baby talks, you don't know if it means anything. But I feel like after the most recent watch, I actually understood what the heck she was talking about. Yeah, and we do get a kind of uh, uh, physical representation of what she's talking about later on, which is weird. But here, let's go. And I, But I do really love the way the scene ends. Um, and so let's let's go ahead and listen on in to the warden and baby talk. It's got the usual psycho bullshit you love to spew. Get down to it. That must hurt. You know, and I know how miserable I can be. So why don't you just tell me what I want to know? We could call it a day. Comprende? Okay. We'll let you have a solitaire. Hmm. Who let me out of solitary? What makes you think I just didn't walk out on my own? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you protecting? One day. I was out having a stroll and I saw a little kitty stuck in a hole. She was struggling to get out, so I reached in to get her, but she scratched me. It's your point to the story? Hmm. 
Along comes the big old warden. <laughs> he stops and he watches me. And then he screams, Stop trying to help that stupid cat! She's gonna get herself out of there one way or another! <laughs> but I didn't listen to that dumb old warden. I kept helping until I got that kitty out. Are you done? So what was the point to the story? So what's your take on this? Oh, she's talking about herself, man. Like at the end when she started meowing, it was evident that she's the cat. Mm -hmm. So just talking about the idea that maybe she is going to be using Greta. Eventually, like the whole plan is for Greta to get her out, whether it was to face these other girls or in some other self-inflicted punishment, whatever Greta is going to do to baby I think she's going to use Greta in an essence as her whole plan to get out. Like she's going to take her out of solitary confinement and allow her the chance to escape. Yeah. She's going to be there to, and even though she knows that the person can hurt her, right. She's mm -hmm. eventually going to use her in a way because she has some fascination with the cat. She does. And the, the thing with Greta's character too is I think Greta is the only one dumb enough to let Baby out to begin with, for whatever the motive or reason is. And I think Baby knows that, and so she's not going to turn Greta in. She's just going to wait till her next opportunity. Right. And it's it's kind of an interesting thing. And, and what we see a little bit later in the film kind of gives you a little bit, like, a different perspective of that. It's It's just... It's such a weird scene that I almost want to talk about it now, but I know that we've got a couple of things to go through before we even get there. So from here, we go ahead and we cut back over to the warden's house. And we'll, we're outside the warden's house, and the warden is there with his friend, who happens to be one of the guys on the parole board. And they're just kind of chopping it up, seeing what's going on, and they get to the house and all the lights are off when they come inside. And everybody's all a little worried, but they have a reason to be worried. Because everybody's sitting around on the dinner table. And who do we got there? Well, we know it's going to be the brothers. That's right. It's the Super Mario Brothers. They're there and they're jumping on turtles and getting coins. We're hooked on the brothers. The brothers. The brothers. <laughs> well, these brothers got a pair of guns. <laughs> they do. And uh, it's kind of a... like They kind of rush everybody in. And it's really, really hectic. At least to start. And we kind of get a precursor to possibly one of my favorite parts of the movie, which could or could not have remained in the movie. I mean, up to this point, we're about probably, uh, I'd say about 25 minutes into the film, would you say? Somewhere around yeah, there? If not, I mean, maybe even a little more. Like this, this whole, this is almost like two movies put together. Yeah, it is. And, and the movie itself is an hour and 55 minutes. Yeah. Like it's it's more like an hour and 49 47 somewhere around there uh but because if you include critics and all the other stuff but still it's it's quite a bit it's the longest out of all three of them is it really okay yeah. that makes sense yep so let's see what happens when uh well i guess after his buddy gets shot in the stomach and otis and winslow are trying to well they're not trying to they're completely controlling the situation what exactly do you expect to gain by doing this? I don't expect anything. 
I demand that you spring my sister from the clink and deliver her to me ASAP. Wait, wait, that, that's impossible. I can't walk out the front door with a prisoner. What you're asking my husband is completely insane. I'm completely insane. He ain't asking, he's telling. Big difference, bitch. Don't call me bitch. I can call you whatever I want. You're gonna love it, bitch. I ain't afraid of you. Oh! <laughs> there must be something else I could do. Just give them whatever they want. You can't reason with these maniacs. He's bleeding to death. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's a flesh wound. Show them the safe. For God's sakes, you cheap asshole. Get them some money. Whoa, stop the fucking press. Asshole has a safe? What safe? No, no. Just that, that, that's not it. Just, just put that back up on the shelf. That, there's nothing in there for you. It's my mother's ashes. Just put it back. No. Do not stick your nasty, filthy fucking hand. Oh, my God, you fucking asshole. Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Fly away, mama. Fly away, mama. Fly. Fly. Run away. Money? What am I going to buy? Look at me. Look at me! I got everything I need. I ain't no fucking slave to the system. Who the fuck is that? No. We're not expecting anyone, I swear. Watch these assholes. I'll handle this. So the scene is pretty intense for what it is. You know, the guy gets up, he... He first just tries to leave with his wife. Like, that's going to work, right? They just gather together. Okay, I I don't have to deal with this. And he tries to leave, and that's what gets him fucking shot. Yeah. Well, and in this movie, the other lady tells them, hey, just sit down. Like, you don't, yeah. and we both know it doesn't matter. If you're going to comply or not, you're still going to die when it's essentially – the Firefly family or the Driftwood family, like they, there's no getting out of it. You can help them or not. And so I don't know if he's in the wrong for trying to leave, but damn, he could have done better than that. Oh, he could have done much better than that. And you would think them both being, you know, him being a warden and him being a parole officer, that they would have some sort of weapon on them right there when they came home. And how, uh, how perfectly scripted that they're buddies and hanging out together. <laughs> yeah. Both on I know. <laughs> but, well, and then you have that too, that kind of a, yin and yang thing that they're both married to people of the opposite race too right you know, he's married to a black woman she's married or he's married the other guy's married to a white woman and it's weird that or does it feel weird it kind of felt weird to me that there wasn't any mention of it by otis because you think that it would be something that otis would say something snarky about yeah but i think you know dude we know where we stand we don't give up fuck right like i'm saying yeah yeah but i think that even rob zombie like at some point he just doesn't want to go there or whatever and yeah, it's probably what leave is. alone and but i will say that you're right about how intense the scene gets because richard brake brings so much energy like otis strip like he brings it when the scene's important but he is carried through this movie with the insanity of richard brake or should i go oh, with yeah. robert brake there's another one. Oh jesus christ <laughs> Dude, he the scene with the ashes was brilliant. Like that. Oh, it's great. Rob Zombie, the writing he does here, it allows him the character. The characters attack at the heart, man. 
Oh yeah, and I, it's great because he dips his fingers and then he starts flicking in the air. Fly, mama, fly, fly, mama. <laughs> and again, you are, you're not really supposed to laugh along with this or smile with it, but you are. You are because you're <laughs> having fun with these characters and just the sequence of the doorbell ringing and the look on Otis's face. It took me right back to Devil's Rejects whenever they were in the motel room and then oh, yeah. he's knocking on the door and he's like, "Who the hell is that?" You know what I mean? And so we just get another scene like that. It, it, I don't get who ordered this guy. Like, it was there something special going on that night? Because there, there uh, had to be. Because if you look in the background, and I really don't think I'm wrong about this, I saw balloons. Like, yeah, I, I think so everybody, everybody's there for a reason. But the deal is, yes. Why did they order Mister Baggy Britches? And I only, dude, only one thing makes sense to me. And I'll, I'll give you two. Okay, one is. They're cheap and they have poor taste. That's one. Mm-hmm. Or Mr. Baggy Britches is an adult clown and something was about to go on at this love party that uh, we didn't get to see. And thank God for that. Well, yeah. It, I don't necessarily need to have that type of love in with Mr. Baggy Britches. It could have also been C that he just was at the wrong house at the wrong time. There was supposed to be some kid's birthday party that was going on and he misread the letters, you know. He thought it was 1852 and it happened to be 1850. You know, he saw the, the crazy cars outside, all the lights off. This must be the surprise party. And this is where I'm going. And unfortunately, he gets a uh, lovely gun to the face as soon as he opens the door. Now, you know who Mr. Baggy Bitches is played by, right? You know I do, but we should tell the audience that it is Mr. Clint, Clint Howard. Howard. Yep. Yes. It's great. The ice cream man himself is uh, Mr. Baggy Bridges, which is a movie that I've almost done a couple of times and I probably need to do it for this podcast. It's it's wonderful. It's it's wonderfully dumb. Uh, And uh, it's, he, you know, I remember us sitting in the theater and I was looking and I'm like, he looks so familiar. And then Patrick's like, oh, that's Clint Howard, isn't it? And I was like, oh, it is Clint Howard. (laughs) That's exactly who that is. So... Well, and Clint Howard, man, he's no stranger to Rob Zombie movies either. So just, I love it. Rob Zombie always brings like 13 people to every film. Now, if he could have just brought in Ron Howard for one of the films, then it would have been great. <laughs> it would have been weird. <laughs> Clint and Ron doing a role together in a Rob Zombie movie. They could have been the Chainsaw Brothers, but that's another movie. That's a whole nother movie. Uh, so from here, we cut over real fast to uh, Baby, and she's being interrogated by Greta. And... This is, I wanted to include this scene, but I decided against it because it was one of those situations where all these things are happening back to back to back to back. And it's like, I don't want to just play the movie. We we need to talk about it. So I just want to talk about this scene, which is, it's an interesting scene between her and Greta because, and this is really where she shines her mama firefly the most out of anything that she does in this movie you've taken the words out of my mouth. Like when you said that before, I was so happy because I a hundred percent agree with that. Even the scene where she's strapped down on the gurney mm-hmm. bed and getting the stitches and you, you, when she projects like Satan riding up saying, get in bitch, like all that. I was just getting the sheriff. You ain't never, you know, just that kind yep. of that outbreak, the voice change, everything. And in this particular sequence, the way that she's so, scandalous right she's flirtatious Mm -hmm. she's dirty right and she knows what she's doing and she's doing it well because 
here we go again. You know, you, you lick your lips at a cop. You know what's going to happen. That's right. Well, and even the way that she dips her voice down to yeah. to to do that, you know, you want some of me. Like she mm-hmm. gets the whole, it's all the inflections and it's even the mouth movements and everything. It, it is just, that is her mama. She is her mama's daughter. And even the way that she says, I came shooting out my mama, you know, and she's imitating her mom at the same exact time. It's really ridiculous, like how well this scene is done. I thought it, in the beginning when I first saw it, and you know, going back and rewatching these movies again for this series of podcasts that we're doing, I it clicked with me at that moment, and I saw how cool that was and how she reacted to it. Shout out to Leslie Easterbrook. Yep. So. Basically, she gets under Greta's skin and she gets inside Greta's head, and she's like, "I live there, you know. I live inside your head, and it's it's great." And, and Greta is just having. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure if you were to pan down onto the ground, there'd just be a giant wet spot up, down there because she's so turned on. <laughs> she sells it, doesn't she? Oh, and I think that this is one of the times where D. Wallace actually does a good job. Like this scene, I don't think is is just you know. Uh, but the rest of it's kind of like that. But here, that that desire, and you can see that she's holding it back and she's fighting it back, and then she just kind of lets it go towards the end of that whole scene. She does, and we're, again, we've already said we're not saying that Dee Wallace is a bad actress. She oh, no. just didn't have a lot to work with in this. But yeah, this is probably her biggest scene. Most definitely. So you know, and then you get the cool little jump scare at the end of it too. After she closes, because she just slams that little whatever that view panel i guess on the prison door and i was really thinking that you know baby was gonna try to grab through it and like pull her up against it or something like that but she realizes that she's underneath that spell and she slams it really uh fast and then all of a sudden you get the big push against the door from baby and it's actually a pretty good jump scare too i remember getting me in the theater because i wasn't necessarily expecting it yeah baby she ups the ante on everything that she does in this movie it's her insanity but her her nature is overall just aggressive. Yes. And this is definitely one of those aggressive moments for her. So we cut back and we're going to have ourselves a little bit of a piddle party. Uh, so he tells the clown, Otis tells the clown that, hey, you know what? He's like, oh, just, I won't say anything. Just let me go. That's what everybody fucking says. There's two things that everybody says to the Firefly clan. And that's, I won't tell anybody, just let me go. And what's the other one, Dave? fuck you that's right so (laughs) (laughs) so it's uh it's just kind of crazy he's like okay well i'll let you go if you make me laugh and so we have to get probably one of my favorite moments in the movie uh which is you know mr baggy bag pants bagpipe maker uh, baggy baggins bilbo baggins (laughs) bilbo baggins okay (laughs) we went there we went there that's right, Baggy Britches. Jesus Christ, can't remember this guy's fucking name to save my life. Anyway, Clint Howard, uh, he has to make Otis laugh, right? And so we're going to listen to the awkward uh, but funny little interval. And again, I love the way the scene ends, even though I'm not supposed to like this and I'm not supposed to laugh. I laughed my ass off, especially in the theater. Uh, and I did do a little bit of editing on this clip because there was a good 25 seconds of slow motion glitter 
the herpes of the craft world just being thrown everywhere. Because <laughs> once you get that shit in something, it never fucking comes out. It's always with you forever. You'll be driving in your car one day. You went to that one fucking strip show. And then you look at your car seat. There's glitter there from five years ago. And you're like, can't get rid of this shit. So there was like that. And so I had to cut the music. You'll hear it go silent for a second. Well, not silent, but you'll hear it dip down and dip back out. And that's basically cutting that 30 seconds uh, out of this entire clip. And uh, where is uh, Mr. Baggy Britches going to go, Dave? He's going to go straight to clown heaven. There you go. <laughs> Let's see what I have in here. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, well, that's not um. Okay, um, oh, card tricks, card tricks. Who loves good card tricks? I sure love good card tricks. Let's see this. Well, that seems to be malfunctioning. Uh, oh, ma'am, oh, uh, here, dry those tears. I'm funnier than you think. Uh, you know, I got these pants from a fellow who was on a diet. It was a seafood diet. He saw food and he ate it. My mom told me that joke. Oh. Ow. Ooh. Bang stance hurt his head. Ooh. Party. We throw a party. Bravo, Bozo. Bravo. A little fucker pissed himself. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, fuck, he made me laugh. (laughs) So I'm free to go? Yeah. Straight to clown here. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fucked up. But it's still goddamn hilarious. Uh, the whole sequence, I, I I would be terrible in their position. Like, if, you know, not saying I'm ever going to be Otis and Winslow over there. But if I had to not laugh at that shit, I would have been laughing my ass off because it's so cringy and awkward. And you can tell that he's scared out of his mind trying to figure out what do I have that'll make them laugh. And I love the response. Don't worry. I'm funnier than I look. <laughs> It's an awesome delivery. It just gives me those vibes. It, it makes me think like, well, see, the reason he's here is because Clint Howard, you know, he used the same getup when he auditioned for Joker, but see, he didn't get the part. So, you know, Rob Zombie might've felt bad and said, here, come be in my movie. That, that explains the look, that explains the bad comedy, but it explains why we love it. Yeah, but that was when he was uh, auditioning back in the 70s and he was trying to take Cesar Romero's role, right? Oh, <laughs> 60s, bro, for that. Oh, 60s, damn it. But, you know, Dude, this scene just it, it piggybacks right off of what I said about the last scene of you just it doesn't matter if you do what you're supposed to do, you're gonna die. Oh yeah. Because he just said that he was gonna, he was free to go, but he didn't tell him where he was free to go to. There's a catch to everything. Yep. And that's the sign of a good killer. <laughs> <laughs> it's just terrible. But again, it's terrible because I laughed out loud so much when he said that and he just shot him in the head. Uh, it was terrible, but everybody else in the audience was laughing. So, hey, I get a pass. <laughs> you do get a pass. That's the kind of people that enjoy this movie. And, hey, 
we love when the body count rises. That's right. That's what horror is all about. So from here, we go back over to the prison. And this is probably the weirdest scene in the entire movie, which is baby. She's on the prison floor in solitary. And then she's looking out the grate. And what does she see? But a dancing cat. Yeah, there's like Moonlight Sonata, Beethoven playing, and the cat's doing this ballet music, and I love it. I absolutely love it. It's got such a weird head, too. Like, the the costume is not quite weird, because when he opens his mouth, "Ah," you know, you see the head of the person in the back of the costume. You know, if that was meant to be, that was meant to be, but I don't know. Let me ask you something. Did it remind you of anything? Was it like a scene from another movie? Did it give you any sense of an older horror movie. No, because I thought it was really weird and I still think it's kind of weird. So I don't know if this is connected for any reason, but because I had seen this movie multiple times, it stood out to me. This scene is really in an odd way, similar to a scene from Eraserhead. Ah, can I tell you a a secret here? Well, so I didn't research this, but there's a scene in Eraserhead, and this is no spoiler. This doesn't give anything away. It's just a weird scene where our character is just kind of staring at a a radiator, like, and I hope that's the right word, but you know, like a furnace, like inside the apartment, yeah, yeah. like one of those tall silver grate ones. Yeah, okay, that's like a radiator. Yeah, that's what I thought, but then I think of a car. But anyway, so the character's staring at it, and there's, like, movement behind it, and the camera zooms in, and we notice there's a woman doing ballet and dancing in the background, and she's got this messed up, like, uh, animated face like there's like cheeks on it's just so distorted looking but we get the same idea and I just didn't know if that was a shout out to Lynch's work it it may be now like I said I'll tell you a secret I've never seen it yeah well it's um it's one I recommend you should see just so because you like WTF movies right oh yeah there's a lot of WTF movies that I love it's one of those things and I love David Lynch too and it's one of the few David Lynch films I have not seen I mean, I've seen Mulholland Drive, and that's that's a what-the-fuck movie, if there's ever a right. what-the-fuck movie. But that is on purposely done like that because it was supposed to be a pilot that never got turned to a series. So he decided, oh, I'm just going to finish this fucking movie. That makes no fucking sense. Right. You but, know, Rob Zombie, when he makes a movie, you know what you're getting. When David Lynch makes a movie, you're okay with what you get because we know it's just it's a mind trip regardless. <laughs> Here's a David Lynch movie. Where are my papers? Throw them up in the air. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Action. <laughs> Action. What? But I, I, I want to know from any listeners out there, if you've seen Eraserhead, you know what I'm talking about. Let me know. And Brian, you'll put this in your memory brink. Watch that movie. If you can find it, it doesn't stream anywhere. You're going to have to pay for it, but it's worth a rental price. I want to know if you get the same vibe. Yeah, it's definitely something that I should check out that I've never checked out before. Uh, but still, I remember when I saw the scene for the first time, like, I just didn't get it, to be honest with you. When I first saw it, I was just like, what, what, what's, what's going on here? What, what, why, why the cat? And, you know, and then, then it's kind of sad at the end of it when she's telling the cat, don't go, don't go, no, don't go. Like, is she thinking that that's her last chance for escape? Cause what she did didn't work. Did she, you know, she was supposed to see herself as the cat outside, but she's still inside, even though she's done everything that she could to help the cat and the cat's just rejecting her. Like, is the cat supposed to be at this point Greta or is it something else? Right. It could be your conscience. You never know. Yeah, it, it could be, could be your sanity also kind of fading away. I think know? that's closer to what it is though. As we, well, I'm pretty sure but that's what it is that she's her last bit of reality 
and life as she knows it is drifting away in the form of the cat. Baby has a thing for animals throughout this whole trilogy. Like in House of a Thousand, it was with rabbits. And in this movie, it's with cats. And she even makes a reference to the Snow White living in the forest with the animals. So Mm -hmm. she's definitely mentally gone. And there's even a part of this movie where Otis talks about she's changed and he notices it. So, Yeah. So from here, we go back over to the house. And it's now becoming, well, it's almost at the end of the night. The poor clown is sitting on the couch next to the uh, the wife over there. And we see, you know, Otis now, he's got a plan that he wants to set in motion. And here's the plan that he's got to basically get Baby out of the prison with the warden's help. Okay, Mr. Mustache. Here's the plan. Tomorrow, you wake up, put on some of that nice cologne that your wife loves so much. Maybe one of these uh, faggy flowered shirts. <laughs> Those strange glasses and drive to work, go into the office, pick up the phone and spin some bullshit story up to get baby brought to your office. She changes into some prison guard duds. You sneak her out and you bring her here. <laughs> Simple. Can't happen. It's impossible. Don't tell me what's impossible, motherfucker! I am the impossible! She's insane. I take the shackles off, she's gonna try to kill me. Well, (laughs) that is true. Okay, I will write you a note. Give it to her first, or else she will make tomorrow your last day on Earth. I like the way that he all of a sudden has that like weird change of thought and change of heart. For a second, he's like, well, yeah, you're right. She probably is going to kill you. So I'm going to write you a note. Yeah, it's it's hilarious because he, he admits it's true, but you see it on his face where he like, he's always been told by everybody else these all these bullshit lines, and this is one that he can't argue. Yeah, exactly. Like he, Okay, you do have a point. She is kind of crazy, and I probably wouldn't be able to stop her. Uh, okay. Yeah, let's let's make sure you got a note. Like he's giving him a hall pass or something like that. Oh, one get out of killing free card. Right. So from here, we go back over the prison. Well, we go to the next morning and he's gotten dressed in his nice flowery shirt. I'm not going to say the other line of what type of shirt it is. Because uh, <laughs> that's, that's a little too much. Uh, but that is Otis. So seeing that's weird. Again, he'll say a line like that, but he won't talk about the fact that you know, they're yeah. married to different types of people. Um, and so, you know, the warden drives over to the, the prison and he gets in, locks himself in his office for a little bit, and he has to get himself some white powdery courage to be able to do what he needs to do. He's got his little secret safe. And he draws up three lines of coke. Like he, he basically breaks up in a small brick and just like cracks it on the table and then separates it super fast. Doesn't There's no time to be using a credit card to make these nice... <laughs> <laughs> no, he takes it to the head, man. And he's still got all the white on his nose, too, as he's calling all the places to get babe. First, he gets the uniform to come inside the office. Nobody questions why he's getting a uniform either. Right. Like, that part is a little bit too much for me. Like, the and the interaction with the girl, he can't tell her anything. He's obviously cheating on his wife with the shorter, thicker black girl. Um, but she doesn't question why do you need the 
the prison uniform. Just, here's your prison phone uniform, honey. Oh. Hey, you don't question the warden, man. They know that. That's, well, I guess that's he what writes it is the that Mm-hmm. But, and hey, so, you know what? I just got to say, he's Snow White now. You know, all the power of his... <laughs> well, he's too tall to be one of the seven dwarves. You know, Koki? Oh, well, maybe maybe that character's in here later. <laughs> well, that's the seven dwarves, dwarves of drug control. Uh, you know, Cork... Uh, Koki, Methy, uh, Speedy, <laughs> though he's also Mexican, so mm. mm, Compachi. That's right. He's got his brother Slowpoke. <laughs> <laughs> Goddamn Looney Tunes! Uh, but <laughs> nonetheless, he also calls for Baby to get Baby into the office, and so he has a little bit of the tiff, like we said, with the other guard trying to get the the piece of uniform so that he can dress Baby, and then. D. Wallace is Greta and the other guard, who I don't remember her name, but at least they're smart enough to send her away. Um, so nothing really happens to her next. But, uh, you know, he, they bring him into the room and he tells Greta and the lady to leave. And he also tells Greta to leave the keys. And she's like, leave the keys. But I don't know if it's more that she's upset for the fact that, like, she thinks he's going to do something to her. You know, like he's going to get freaky with her. And that's why the word and she doesn't get the chance. Like that's how I took it, dude. Like, yeah, it's you can. It's your opinion, right? You can take it any way you want, but it's definitely. I, I think it's not the other way. I don't think that she cares for the warden's oh, safety. No. I think it's she's jealous and she's wanting to protect. Forgive the pun, but her baby, right? Oh yeah, that it's it's one of those situations where, well, you know, I can't stop you from fucking her, but if you're gonna fuck her, I'm at least gonna watch. You know, <laughs> well, she's already accused of being watching baby anyway. So why that's not? right. Well, by baby, so it seems like it's true as well. So she gets kicked out of the room. She's like, well, "I'm going to stay around and you know make sure, sure that's what you're going to do." And so the warden basically lets baby know, "Hey, look, I'm going to let you out, but I need you to read something first And he gives her the poorly written note from uh from otis now did you get a chance to read that whole note because i only saw pieces and i didn't really pause it i I did not pause it i only saw things on there but i love the handwriting like he writes like a child it's awesome oh yeah and it's great because even the warden asks you can read right you know (laughs) assuming that they're so backwards because they're killers that they're uneducated where i would say that killers are probably some of the most educated people that are out there especially serial killers well you, you know how they start out you know how it goes yeah, that's right. You know, you decide that one day that you're truly a vampire, and the next you're killing babies for their blood. That's the way it goes. Uh, if you've never heard of the guy in Fresno, you should look that guy up. I can't remember his name. But uh, the guy believed that he was a vampire, and that his brain was... Oh, no, he he had an artery stole from, stolen from him, and the only way that he could get it back was by drinking blood. Did he sparkle? Uh, no, this was before that time. This is oh. way before The Lost Boys. Oh, really? <laughs> no, I think this actually was in the 80s. I want to say like 87, 88, so maybe around the time of the Lost Boys. So there's a possibility that he wore leather coats and did sparkle. Hey, good episode, by the way. Oh, great. I'm glad that people have listened to it by now. Well, <laughs> so, uh, So he gets baby dressed, and then before he can finish up and start getting her out of there, that's when Greta breaks into the office, and Greta looks around. She's like, what the hell is going on, man? And that's when baby comes from behind her and chokes her to death. 
Yeah, I mean, her and Danny Trejo both go out like a bitch. Let's just be honest. Yeah, but at least Danny Trejo got a bullet to the head where it's kind of, it's a little bit tragic for her because the warden's there staring at her and he's just like, look, I'm not going to save you because I need to do what I need to do to hopefully save my family. Right. Yeah, it's, and I love it too because we know the way Baby is. She's like, yeah, bitch had it coming. (laughs) I love it because he looks at her and he's like, really? Really, that's what you had to do? She's like, bitch had it coming. <laughs> yeah. It, it kind of works, man, because uh, if anybody comes in to see what's going on, there's a little bit of aftermath left to see that there was a struggle. Yep. So that you know that it may not be that, uh, you know, the warden, if he was taken, he was probably not, you know, he didn't do it on his own. He may have actually been coerced because they managed to kill the, the warden that was there or the guard that was there. And so, he was definitely not coked out of his mind. No, definitely not coked out of his mind. I mean, there's probably still some white on the mirror that's on the table that that was left there. And, you know, I did he didn't look like he removed the white from his nose before, you know, the she busted in there with the even the, you know, the guard uniform. Right. Which it happens to fit her so well, even though it's not the color she wanted. Yes. Got any other colors? <laughs> So they go back to the warden's house and they go inside and the warden too at his office manages to grab his gun. So he's got something now to protect himself. And again, I was thinking to myself, why didn't he have it on him the first place? Like it still doesn't make any sense. Like if you, I mean, maybe wardens don't carry guns. I don't know, but I would assume that if they're going to be at a prison facility and they're technically like the chief of police for that facility, that they would still be armed in some way, shape or form. Hold on, let me make a call real quick. Okay, okay my uh, my sources say <laughs> no. I uh-huh. think the, I, the warden's usually always protected by somebody, and so I guess there's no reason for them to carry if someone else is carrying around. But clearly, there's a reason to have the gun. And uh, well, Brian, I guess as we'll get into it, we'll see if it pays off. So they go into the house, and of course, everybody's happy that baby is there, we, and everybody's sitting around watching TV like a happy little family. Said you got you know baggy mcbag pants over here the clown uh he's sitting on the the couch with his bullet in his head you know and next to uh the 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 wife of the warden and then on the floor is the the dude basically dead you know he's still got his pain with his flesh wound he's not quite dead yet you know but he's no black knight i'll tell you that (laughs) hey (laughs) did you see what they were watching they were watching three stooges but i couldn't figure out which one it was Okay, well, I don't know the episode or <laughs> what movie it was, but I just found it funny because in a clip earlier, he's like, they're making me look like a fucking stooge. And then now they're watching, they're watching stooges three stooges. House. Yep. Did it? And, and so, and then on the couch is Otis and the naked, now naked wife of the other guy. So there's implications of what probably happened with her. Strip poker? Yeah. yeah. Deadly strip poker. Because she's also yeah. beaten and bruised at the same time. Well, she should be thankful it wasn't strip monopoly because that shit would have went on forever. Yeah, it probably wouldn't have been ended, and they still she would have had like a sock or a shoe on or something still left. Do you think she would have got two hundred dollars? No, because she probably would have never passed go unless it was going to heaven. Hey, <laughs> or clown heaven? <laughs> no, you don't go to clown heaven. You go to clown jail. That's the way monopoly works. <laughs> so they come inside the house. Baby's all excited to be seeing her brothers once again and that's where all hell starts breaking loose you have you know he tries to shoot uh you know 
Otis, but completely misses and gets shot himself. Uh, and it starts because Otis starts beating the crap out of his friend and basically killing him. Yeah, and it's, again, it's implied and you hear it, but man, you feel it. Oh, yeah. And he's basically hitting with, like, he's pistol whipping him to death. He is. He's smashing his, he's crushing that guy's skull. And we didn't mention this before, but the actor is uh, Kevin Jackson, who um, also is in another Rob Zombie movie. Everybody's in a Rob Zombie. You get a Rob Zombie movie, and you get a Rob Zombie movie, and you get a Rob Zombie movie. Maybe one day the Terrible Terror podcast can be in a Rob Zombie movie. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we can get uh, in one of these, like, little things. Maybe he can put a kick, like a Indiegogo or a Kickstarter or something. You know, be killed in a Rob Zombie movie. Okay, that's fine. Let me let me die. <laughs> Take my money. The Futurama gift right. right there. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, like I said, all hell breaks loose. Uh, the wife ends up getting shot. He accidentally shoots his wife, right, <laughs> instead of shooting Otis, which sucks because that that's the way that you're going to go. But he doesn't seem like he's still bent on – killing otis after that like he or not or sad about his wife more about killing otis and getting out of this look he's coked out of his mind and i don't know if he's understanding what's happening like he does react when he shoots his wife like the initial hit like he reacts with us as an audience we're like oh dumbass right like clearly you don't know what you're doing but yeah even as he gets shot and he slides down the wall and he's just looking at otis he's terrified yeah and uh the other guy's wife she tries to have a knife a naked knife fight with uh you know baby in the kitchen but instead of trying to fight she just tries to run away and it's it's kind of an awkward little sequence of her running away naked and and this again was i'm like this becomes one of a couple of bad shots in the film like full body naked shots in the movie and i was like huh that's interesting that's one thing Rob Zombie has never stirred away from. He likes to show no. women in his movies, and it is what it is, man. You know what you get when you when you watch a Rob Zombie movie. But it's funny when you talk about the naked knife fight. I was like, this would have been how Rob Zombie done Kill Bill. <laughs> <laughs> then then we've got a naked Uma Thurman, and I would have been okay with that. There you go. Versus a naked Lucy Liu. Hmm. Well, okay, you don't I want to naked. Wait, hold on, hold on. You're going to exclude <laughs> the, the naked David Carradine? Yeah, we're going to exclude naked David Carradine, but okay. we we will get a, a naked Daryl Hannah. So, <laughs> with the eye patch. Wait, <gasps> it's the same person. All right, we'll get there. Do you think that she's going to have a boob patch too? Just <laughs> no, one just... of them is going to be covered. It's the opposite from the eye patch, or it's going to be like you know the eye patch is going to go like this. It could be a long sash, and it, but of course she, it's it's total recall. She's got three boobs. It's going to uncover the middle one. Oh, it's only okay. So there we go. So now we've totally fixed Kill Bill for everybody with, with naked katana fighting. But <laughs> so she runs outside the house, like I said, instead instead of fighting back, she would have had a better chance trying to fight off Baby than just running away. Because as we know, Baby's is as fast as a rabbit, you know, when she or as fast as a wolf chasing a rabbit. I guess you could say. And so she chases her into the front yard and there's this great slow motion, like she's got her arms up, like she's hunting, you know, she's freaking Elmer Fudd with her gun chasing after <laughs> fucking Bugs Bunny here. And shh, I'm hunting rabbits. And uh, eventually she does catch up to her and she just starts stabbing her in the back like crazy. And then that's, stabbing her in the chest. That's two Looney Tune references from you already. Oh, yeah. 
maybe we'll Warner hit Brothers. three. Yeah, maybe. But again, this is a nod. This is a callback to Devil's Rejects. Just the the running in broad daylight. And it goes to show, Brian, there's always one rule that we always learn, and it is anybody who runs out of the house always dies. Yeah. Like, why why run? If you just fight back, everything will not be okay, but <laughs> maybe you'll have a chance to, to get out of there. Meanwhile, in the background, the cat is allergic to me talking about Rob Zombie movies. <laughs> I used to like your cat. But... So, and then when Baby is done with what she's done, she looks up, and then there's the old lady across the street that's been watching the whole thing go down, and she's smoking while she's got her oxygen tank there. Well, you know who that is, right? No, you get to educate me on this one. That's Dr. Satan. (laughs) (laughs) Oxygen tank and mask. (laughs) So there's the representation of Dr. Satan in this movie. (laughs) It's too much. When is uh, Chris Hardwick going to show up? From the background, is he going to come outside of the building? Doctor Satan, it's time for your meds. <laughs> yes, that would have been great. We should have got some Chris Hardwick in this movie. I don't think we do anywhere. No, I, I don't think that we do. We should have gotten him here. We didn't get him in Devil's Rejects either, which I, I wish that he did. But he was in Halloween too. That's what it was. I knew he was in something as yep. some sort of newscaster or something. He's a talk show host, and Weird Al happens to be there while they're talking to Loomis. That's exactly what it is. Yep. It's the only time that I was disappointed in seeing Weird Al in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> We're not talking UHF this time. We're... But you can find it all on UHF. Yeah, especially Andy. Just saying. <laughs> that dude, that's how he grew up watching horror movies. Shout out to Andy. Hey, well, there is that one scary scene in that movie, but that's for another podcast. Um, but so we go back and now we see that Otis, he's caught up to the poor sheriff. Uh, well, to the poor warden, and he reminds him of something that he said to him when he first met him. Do you remember the first words you ever spoke to me, Verge? No. No? The big man doesn't remember? You said, this is my death factory, and you are the product. Well, guess what, motherfucker? This is my death factory, and you are the product. Got that bitch. Um, I think we should think about rolling out of here soon. Okay, get the shit. Fuck. Let's go. Let's, Let's go. go. Okay. Shit. Let's go, fucking pigs. Hold on, I'll be back. So she takes an Indian headdress that they somehow have inside the house, as well as a pair of bow and arrows that I wonder will come in handy sometime later in the movie. I love it. I absolutely love it, man. Like, I know I came in abrupt with that, but I just, oh, it's such a cool look. Like, she pulls it off really well. Well, it is such a odd scene. Again, it's that you go from something totally terrifying, Otis, and giving his, his strong, powerful lines 
of, you know, you know what you call this, you call it a death factory. You know what that is? Shitty movie starring Ron Jeremy. But, uh, well, Ron Jeremy being alive for the first five minutes of that movie. But nonetheless, like he kills him. And then all of a sudden here comes in baby. (laughs) Being all silly and like, oh yeah, some old broad over there. Like it's a total like weird juxtaposition of, these these two types of scenes, but this is what we get in this movie. We get the the killers, and then we get the fun family. Like yeah. it's a family road trip of fucking murderers. You know what, dude? Um, I can't disagree with anything you said, but I do want to call one thing out. I think that deep down, Otis is a businessman. You know why? Why? Because in the last movie, he wanted a chocolate factory remember i'm willy wonka and this is my fucking chocolate factory and now he's got a fucking death factory i'm just saying the guy he has it in him to own some factories oh so he's just an entrepreneur caught inside of a killer's body with really great hair with extremely great hair and a wonderful flowy beard too yeah Odin still... ain't got nothing on him <laughs> you're still working on your big flowy beard is what you're trying to tell me yeah it gets to a point where it just kind of does its own thing so I don't know. Ed the Undead told me that you could like groom that and it would work, but that's a lot of work, so I don't. <laughs> yeah, just take a little bit of a razor and you can get that nice and shiny. I think. Oh, you said something about a comb, and I'm like, I don't own a comb. <laughs> <laughs> me brush my hair? Oh, jeez, who do you think I am? Fucking Otis. <laughs> oh man. So. They drive off, and what do they do? But they steal Mr. Bagby Bags, Bagby Pants, where the fuck his name is, clown guy. They steal his his van to go on their long, high-speed, you know. It's funny because they get away so quickly, and you can hear the cop sirens in the background, which would usually denote that the cops are relatively close by. So a murder happened around the corner. The cops were going to that one. And that bought him enough time before the cops were able to make it there. Because, hey, you know, do you think the old lady called the cops? I mean, who would have done it? Well, I think that the cops were being sent to the warden's house because they probably found Greta inside of his office. I don't think anybody actually called the cops. I think that they finally were like, hey, something's up. They called down baby. Greta's dead. The warden's gone. He must be in trouble. That's a good call. You're giving some people way too much credit. That's right. No, it was probably Dr. Satan across the street. It's like, you wouldn't let me be in this goddamn movie anymore. You know, I was the whole reason that this thing even started. And then you guys totally got rid of me, cut me out of another movie. Now I'm sitting over here. I'm in my goddamn chair. And now the cops going to fucking kill you guys. <laughs> and all I am is a deleted scene of Devil's Rejects. <laughs> That's right. I don't know why he talks like this, but this is the way Dr. Satan talks. <laughs> it's a good thing we didn't get a lot of dialogue from Dr. Satan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm the master of impressions, okay? Oh, yeah, you're about as good as Richard Brake. <laughs> That's right. And I'm as good as Robert Brake, damn it. <laughs> so, uh, so from here, they manage to get away, and they decide that they're going to stop at a hotel for the night. And that's where we get a little bit of that good old family dialogue. And I, I specifically, this is not super important, this scene. But again, I just, I, I want to have a couple of these scenes where it is them like basically being family and just kind of being people around each other. I think we should keep on moving. Put as many miles between us and that posse of pigs as possible. Yeah, that's easy for you to see. I'm doing all the fucking driving. I can hardly keep my fucking eyeballs open. 
Well, excuse me for having night blindness. Having fucked up retinas is no picnic. Let me drive. What? Shit, man, what am I speaking fucking Chinese? Let me fucking drive. No fucking way. What's the fucking problem? Yeah, what's the fucking problem? The fucking problem is she will get us pulled over within five minutes of her sliding her ass behind this wheel. Fuck you. I drive just fine. So why now? So go get us a motel room, motherfucker. Me? I'm the most recognizable of the bunch. I'm the goddamn Midnight Wolfman, motherfucker. Seriously? No one knows who you are. I'm public enemy number one. This mug is world famous. <laughs> You're insane. For those two-bit crimes. <laughs> uh. Fuck. Give me some bread. I'll do it. No. Remember, I'm the fucking star here. I think that's innuendo for more things than one. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> but it's, again, you have this, it's a know-nothing conversation, right? It's just them trying to, you know, figure out what's going on, you know, that they need to stop for the night, that they're, they're arguing just basically, we should keep going because we're going to get caught by the cops. And then there's just a bunch of stupid shit that kind of go through that whole conversation of, you know, well, you know, I have bad retinas and, you know, I've been driving all night. So you aren't the one that's fucking tired. It's like a bunch of random bickering, but you get sucked in again to them as people, not necessarily the killers. That's it, man. And I think that's what always wins us over. You give it to the actors for doing the amazing performances that they do. But as we're watching this, it's just like any other situation where someone has their day job and they go home. And you're like, oh, they're just like you and me. And for a brief minute, we can relate to these characters because as we'll get further on, there's a few more scenes. But, dude, we dumb it down just like Devil's Rejects. This is a 2D fucking fruity moment. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And it, it, I love the way that you, you say that, you know, it's just we, we're connecting to these characters, you know, and it's just like, oh, yeah, they're just like you and me. Well, except for that they kill a shit ton of fucking people and, and rape and, you know, torture. and But, you know what, that's just their nine to five. And they're, they're, the rest of their day is, you know, chilling. Okay. So Playing I'll cards. Def- I'll defend. Yes. You got any force? Look, I'll defend <laughs> it by saying this. They kill people and we just podcast about them killing people. See, there's the that's little. Right. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Plenty of podcasts about killing people. Plenty killing of a podcast. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. That's no, something no. later. <laughs> so they go ahead and baby's able to get the room. They go inside and they, you know, kind of start relaxing. They're playing cards. They're playing fish. And, of course, baby, she starts to get bored. She doesn't want to be in the room. And Otis, being the big brother and now, I guess, kind of also shifting into the father figure role for her. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can really see that now, like the, the whole point is to get her out of there so she doesn't have to, you know, and he even says something later on in the film that truly shows, I think, the ultimate transition that now he's taken the role of both father and brother for her uh, and that he really does care about his family. If there's one person that he cares about, it's baby, hands down. And he's he's shown that throughout the course of the, the trilogy in 
any shape, way, or form, there's the essence of letting her do what she wants to do, letting her kill the way she wants to kill. But any sense of danger, he's always overprotective. Oh, yeah. And he's, that's what, in The Devil's Rejects, you could say that's what Spalding was, right? And he, a little more so than what Otis was, but Otis was still focused on that. But here, he's really, really focused in on protecting her and being her protector and making sure, out of anything, that she's the one that gets out, you know? And so, but she wants to go outside and he's like, okay, she's like, I just want to get something to drink because, you know, Mr. Midnight Wolfman over here, he's got some fine-ass reefer that looks like it's stuck with a bunch of fucking seeds because she keeps picking them out of her fucking teeth. And so... You know, she's like, I'm thirsty. I have to get something because this stuff has made me really, really thirsty. And so he's like, you got 10 minutes. And that's when she goes outside and goes to the soda machine and meets another one of uh, the, the, this podcast's favorite people that we got or, or recent people um, who happens to be. I always forget his fucking name, too. Sean um, Whalen. Sean Whalen. I was just it was on the tip of my tongue, too. But uh, Mr. People Under the Stairs, Sean Whalen. Uh, he's back and he basically is just playing somebody to stay at the hotel and he's having a Halloween party with two lucky ladies <laughs> it's who he awesome. has to pay for. He does. Yeah. And it's such an honor to always see him pop up in these movies because he's also the Vincent Price. He never turns down a role. And oh, yeah. we, got the, we got the mutual homie, Richard, uh, from who did Fear Cast, Bizarre Cast, all that good stuff. And he got to interview him. It's a great interview. I know it's still out there, but mm-hmm. man, Sean just seems like such a really cool guy. And I love seeing him. Pop- like he was in, I think it was either, I think it's Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, if I'm not mistaken. He has I a cameo so. performance where he rides up in the car and Michael Myers, uh, spoiler, flips it over. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you should know that because it was on Brian's podcast a few years back. But Sean Whelan's like one of those actors. He's been with Sid Haig and Death House. Like, it's just so cool to see him. And I remember watching in the theater and I saw him stroll up and I'm like, Sean Whelan's in this movie. Like, it just keeps getting better and better. And what's funny is that uh, recently I've just gone through all of the, the Hatchet films and he's in Hatchet too. And when he popped up, and I'm like, it's, it's Sean fucking Whelan. And like, I, I watched it like maybe like a week ago or something like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm watching this. I'm like, I forgot that Sean Whelan is in this fucking movie. You know, and I really do like the performance. Like, it's perfect. He's got the right around him being timid, but yet, like, he's surprised when he's like, it's almost like looking at Banjo's role in The Devil's Rejects when he's approached by, you know, uh, Sherry or Baby, I should say. Exactly. In the same lines, you know, that she's seducing him in, but it's all to get in that movie is to get into the room and to get a basically a waiting spot and eventually kill them. And here it's just because she's bored and she just wants to kill somebody. So. And that's what makes her a bad person. (laughs) Exactly. So she takes him over to the soda machine to get the soda that she wants. Meanwhile, we cut back over into the hotel room and, you know, Wilson here, he's got this great idea of what they should do. And the next foray into Hollywood. I ain't looking to rain on this reunion parade, but. What exactly is our next move? Uh, I have no idea. Truthfully, I never thought we'd make it this far. I was thinking maybe we get into the movies. Huh. Movies? Yeah, that's a new one. You know, like triple X movies, right? 
That's where the money's at, because people love watching other people fucking. That's true. It's our first movie, right? The Salami Man. This guy goes around house to house selling salami. Every time he rings the bell, ding dong, opens it up. Woman says, show me your salami, motherfucker. <laughs> That'll be the catchphrase. Every one of them, show me your salami, motherfucker. <laughs> Bends her ass over, right. fucks her up the ass. Dog's yeah. watching. Whole time, dog's in there. Right? No fucking the dog, but we bring the dog Why in. Why not? I'm not in uh, dog maybe, fucking. Maybe... Maybe in a sequel. Maybe <laughs> in a sequel. <laughs> That's where it's at. Yeah, I like it. We're going to call our company Dirty Filthy Sluts Incorporated. Huh. Yeah, I dig the name. I just, I love the conversation that goes on here between them. It's, again, it's one of those stupid conversations that two brothers would just be having together. You know, he thinks that this is just, there's a, a get rich quick scheme. And it's, okay, we're going to go into Hollywood, but we're going to make porno because people love watching people fuck. And then he's already got everything down. He's got the perfect premise for it. It's not quite a big sausage pizza, but, you know, it's the salami man. I would have not, like, we know how well that Rob Zombie crafts his scripts. He's very, he's like Tarantino. He's dialogue heavy. And there's some genius stuff mixed in in the course of his movies. But if you had told me that this was ad-libbed, I would have 100% believed you. Because the way that Richard Brake and Bill Mosley play off each other is perfect. Oh, yeah. I bet you that there was a point of it that he was just like, okay, we're going to do this. Because I know that this was only shot in like 20 days or something like that somewhere. It was really, really short the amount of time that they had to shoot this movie. And I could imagine that they're doing like this, that they just said, okay, well, I just want you guys to riff for a little bit back and forth and let's see if we can, you know, get it because it, it feels so natural that they're able to jump off each other and they're even kind of interrupting them in some ways. And then even the, the end there where he's like, I really dig the name, man. Yeah, like, and he would, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like filthy horror, dirty productions, or whatever the hell it is. Like it's the worst fucking name that you could ever name a porno company. Because I feel like you have to be like somewhat subtle, even though the name, you know, "Show Me Your Salami" being the name of the porno, it's not super subtle. You know, you could get something much, much better out of out of naming something or your company or your movie, like Paranormal Cracktivity. It's <laughs> that's a great porno title. You know, just don't thought, go looking um... up the cover. I was always drawn to behind enemy thighs. <laughs> See, that's a pretty good one too. <laughs> we write it up, we shoot it, you know, dirty, dirty Dave and Brian productions, uh company goes into works. <laughs> well, see, you could also give it up to Al Bundy. Cause you know, his favorite porno was booty and the beast. Yeah. Well, you know, you're also a big fan of biggins too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Meg. Hey, Peg. Where's my biggins? <laughs> uh, what oh, are you man. What children episode? What am I going to... I don't know. There's well, a, you, did, you did the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. I, I'm just saying. There's some, I did the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. There's I could do the Roseanne ones, right? Because they always did Halloween episodes every year. And then Married with Children actually had a couple of good Halloween episodes, too. Uh, it's always something to think about. But can't always have Rob Zombie Ween. So that's right. We're going to continue on with Rob Zombie Ween. And uh, 
So back outside, we see Baby and, you know, Sean Whelan here, and they're busy going over the soda. And, you know, she he's basically thinking that, man, I can't believe this. Once again, I'm, I've managed to get myself this girl. She's interested in me. She doesn't want me to pay for sex. Everything's going to be great. Uh, and then she's like, well, you pick the sodas that's going to give me the best buzz. And it's like, sodas give people buzzes? You know? See, I thought I was missing out because I was like, I need to pay attention because for me, it's always monster energy. You're telling me I can do a fraction of the cost and get where I need to be with a soda pop. And so when she asked him to pick, I'm wondering the whole time which one it's going to be. Well, I was thinking it was going to be Jolt Cola because that's the only thing that can give you a buzz that's a cola, right? But I don't think it was invented at that time. It's like me saying Surge, too, because Surge as a kid always gave me a fucking buzz. But it's uh, he picks root beer. Why are you going to pick root beer? Because it has the name. Yeah. And it has the name beer in the title. Is that the other reason why? Ooh, you get no sugar. You get a little bit of sugar, but no fucking caffeine. And so, you know, we know that something's going to happen bad to them because he finally figures he's like, "Ah, you look like the girl. That's the one that escaped from the prison. And her reply is. I am. (laughs) Just that's it. I am. Oh, yeah. I am. Yep. She's like, that's yeah. And also we have to name call here. He called it after three or four guesses. She wants great. And it's almost, you see the look of realization on his face. Like, Oh, of course it's great. And I, the way I associated that Brian is I was thinking, cause she acts childish. Mm-hmm. Kids love grape soda. Yep. There it is. And that would be in the way to go. And so he has to pay the price for not picking grape. And uh, then she kills him. So, but we learn that as she comes back inside and she has an idea of where they need to go. And then that's when we realize that she's killed poor Sean Whalen. Five innocent people were butchered last night by escaped convicts Otis Driftwood, Baby Firefly, and a third assailant, W.F. Coltrane. (laughs) Fuck, I hate that picture. I'm George Glass, reporting. Fuck, we're on the tube every fucking five minutes. Better go find her. By now, she's probably pitched a ride to fuck knows where. I have the answer to all of our problems. I know exactly what we should do. But that's impossible. Why? Impossible. Because the problem is you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Fuck you and dig this idea. Mexico. That's not a bad idea. No one's looking for us there. No way. Yeah, but none of us speak Mexican. Fuck, man. How hard can it be? Fucking little kids speak it. I vote south of the border, man. South of the border. Mexico. <laughs> Oh, man. Is that fucking blood? Yeah, um, I had a little trouble with the soda machine. Oh, fuck. Okay, come on. Into the car. Let's get out of here. Come on. Mexico. Grab something. Grab the guns. Get your shit together. Let's get the fuck out of here. God damn it. Ten fucking minutes. 
Again, it's like the dead. Like, the kids aren't ready. You know, they just got, or, or they were ready. Now they spilled some stuff on them. Okay, well, we need to go. And come on, everybody just get in the, pile in the truckster. Let's go because we're going to be late. Everybody go. Come on, let's just do it. Like, he's just treating her again like a little kid. And she's kind of acting like a little kid at the same time. Yeah, he steps in, man, and he's he's calling the shots now. Like, we always talk about, like, okay, this is your movie, this is this person's movie, and yet you're 100% right. He's taken over the role as the older brother, as the father figure. He's overprotective of Beatty, but it's really important because, in an essence, one thing we didn't say is Richard Brake has come in, and he's taken the Otis role at this point. Mm-hmm. He most definitely is. He's the, you know, the other brother that's a little bit, you know, you see Otis is maybe a little more conservative than he was in the last. He still has his philosophy. He never loses that. You know, and he, whenever he gets the chance to say it to somebody, he'll say exactly what he needs to say and how Otis says stuff. But he's more about kind of like being the protector now. Whereas, you know, Wilson here, he is kind of the one that's now doing all the kind of little crazy things in the background from, you know, dip, dipping his hands inside the, the you know ashes and, and doing the little rolls until, you know, talking about the porno studio that he wants to fucking build because that's where we should go. Did you take us from family matters to home improvement? Because you kept changing Winslow to Wilson. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Maybe I have. You said Maybe Winslow was hard to remember. Now I see why. Now you see why, because I'm thinking it's Wilson. Just call him Foxy. Wilson! <laughs> That's cast away. Yeah. Wait, Foxy Lady? <laughs> Foxy Brown? <laughs> well, you know, Pam Greer could have been in this movie if she really wanted to. She could. There was definitely a few roles that, um, you know, she might have excelled at some of these roles. Yeah. So... They decide to pile in, like I said, the family truckster and drive on down to Mexico, which I guess is not that far away. Now, are we still all taking place in Texas in this one, or did people get moved around? That's, I think it's still in Texas. I don't recall if they announced the name of the penitentiary. That would have definitely gave it away. But mm-hmm. like you said, the idea of being close to the border, they had to have been in the South. Oh, yeah. So let's uh, get a little listen in on their first impressions of the town of Durango. Well, if we were looking to hide out in the armpit of La Cucaracha next to the cunt end of nowhere, I'd say mission accomplished. It does look like there's a party going on down there. Hey man, let me get an eyeball on this situation. I can use a party. Ah, fuck. Yep. Looks like this party crawled up his own ass and died. <laughs> Shit, man. I expected a little more out of Mexico. Mmm, goddamn, this girl needs a shower. Smell me. <laughs> no. <laughs> party pooper. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> party pooper. <laughs> There's some kind of hotel down there. I guess we could hold up there for a couple of days. Let's do it. Yeah. Ow! So, yeah, again, happy-go-lucky family. They're all there. 
You know, he just lets her be the kid that she wants to be as they're looking down in there. But they're looking at it as though it's like a playground at the same time. You know, we can get away from everything and we can still be our fucked up selves while we're there. True, but that's how they treat the world anyway is the devil's playground. Pretty much. So now we're in the town of Mexico and let's go ahead and meet Carlos. Now, what are your first impressions of Carlos? I'm like, that's that dude from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. (laughs) (laughs) But no, he's a cool cat. I, I love the delivery, and he's got that Rob Zombie hat. He does have the Rob Zombie hat. He just needs the Rob Zombie bell buttons, and then he'll be able to totally pull off the thing and start dancing around telling people about how they're fucking in a UFO. But uh, let's go ahead and meet the king of Durango. You run this joint? Run this joint. I own this joint. I'm Carlos. I'm king of Durango. I'm counsel me. All of them in the firemen, policemen, and sometimes when necessary, I am the undertaker. <laughs> Who died and made you king of Mexico? Huh? What do you mean by that? Hey, can we get down in business? Yeah, we need a room. Ah, well, you have come to the right place. I got the best motherfucking room in all Durango for you. Smash you! Smash you! Get your lazy ass out here and help the lady with her bike. Man, go. Do I pay you to sleep? Carlos, I was painting. Painting? No one our establishment is in the toilet. <laughs> Help the lady. Now, don't worry about him. I know he looks like a monster, but he's a gentle as baby rattlesnake. Yeah, well, there's one thing I ain't afraid of. It's monsters. Senorita, the bow and arrow? Yeah. Okay. All right, now, follow me. I see Dave is also not afraid of monsters because he just crushed another can back there. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey man, when we do four-hour episodes, I need them. That's true. But we're doing pretty good on this one so far. Uh, but can I tell you how much I love Sebastian? Tell me about Poncho Moeller. He is possibly one of my favorite characters in this movie, if not my favorite. Like, I felt the most for that guy because he kind of was that, like, you want to say like beautiful monster he is and they do have a reference to quasimodo in a bit and i guess we're kind of putting him in that type of role as well at least that's the way he sees himself but he's a good-natured fellow that is caught up with the wrong people and being infatuated with the wrong people he is man and i i don't know if this is going to pop up in a clip later but we talk about the way Baby's like, I'm not afraid of monsters. And you look at the family that she comes from, and, and I'm not going to call anybody anything, but I love the references to her brother. And you can see mm-hmm. that right away that she takes to him. Oh, we're definitely going to be hearing about uh, those references because I think that that's important. And it's it shows a little bit of character growth for Baby as well in just those little scenes. And it actually, again, weirdly enough, connects you to Baby when you, when you watch that scene that's going there. Uh, so... Carlos grabs their bags, shows them around, shows them the room that they'll be staying in, which is this presidential suite. It's got a library. It's got an entertainment center and its own commode. Yeah. (laughs) And I love that baby's like, commode? Like, she doesn't know what a fucking toilet is. Well, I think that she would expect a commode is more Mm -hmm. of what it is. And the idea that he's like, you even get a bathroom. And uh, we see why. That's such a big deal. Because there's just a random dude just pissing out in the middle of the street. Yeah. Hey, Fernando, stop that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I told you to piss in the alley. <laughs> Go to the alley. Oh, but he doesn't really talk like that. Carlos has got such a weird way of talking. 
eh. you yeah, know, it's it's like I want to. I have this like Sammy Davis thing stuck in my head. I can't quite do him. I can't quite do anybody. But uh, <laughs> this would be really <laughs> terrible, even more terrible than what it is. But it, it's just kind of weird. It's like he's almost talking out of the back of his like like right cheek, like back yeah. here. He's just got it caught right back there. You know, you see? Yeah. Actually, that's, that's pretty good. That's really close. I was thinking he's just like, he has the Hispanic draw, which I don't know if mm-hmm. that's what they're trying to use because he's the king of Durango. But you mix that with like Boomhauer, and that's what you get on this movie. Pretty much. And I, I want to say that even though his name is Carlos, I think he's the only freaking non-Mexican guy there. Because he's, he's definitely not Mexican. He's definitely right. a black guy. You know, and he's, you know, one of those guys that comes over and he can live like a king in this small little shit town because he does really bad things with really bad people, you know, but he still hasn't left there because everything is good enough for him. That's right. And so you're saying that Richard Edison is not Mexican? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's as Mexican as uh, what's his name is fucking uh, Indian uh, from Short Circuit. I was going to say Adam Sandler. Zohan? Yeah. <laughs> yes well that's that's greek i can kind of give him that but uh god why can't i remember that guy's name from short circuit but you know who i'm talking about i know who you're talking about because he's in the burning that's right or you could say also hank azaria as hank azaria is indian he was the <laughs> voice of apu um so we learn more about carlos and the way that carlos is when he calls our unexpected i guess villain of the movie uh, when he's basically ordered to get three coffins waiting. Yeah. Aquarius, I got something I know you're going to want to know all about. Who is this? This is Carlos. I know a lot of motherfuckers named Carlos. What is the motherfucker named Carlos that hooked you up for 15 kilos of pure snow? And you got paid. What do you want? Why, well, how about a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? <laughs> How about you go fuck yourself? Hey, hey brother, brother, <laughs> hold on, uh, because I got something that you've been looking high and low for. I'm listening. Those fuckers, they killed your daddy, they just roll into town without a motherfucking care in the world. And I know exactly where they are, and I know exactly how to keep them safe sound until you get here. What exactly is it going to take to keep them safe? I need no dough to get my ass out of Mexico and that permanently. So how about um, 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 $10,000 American? Done. Well, yeah, it's easy. How about 20000 Don't fuck with me. Oh, yeah, I'm not fucking with you. So 10000 it is. One more thing. Yeah, what's that? Have three coffins waiting. Oh, you got that. No problem. So this is Aquarius. And now what's special about Aquarius? Dave, what's so special about Aquarius? He is the son of Rondo, who was Danny Trejo. That's right. And this is kind of a weird twist. So when I first saw this movie, I was like, this plot kind of just goes nowhere, right? It like It's just we're just going through different acts, and each act is something different, right? So the first act is the escape. The second act kind of is the uh, getting to Mexico. You know, all the stuff in between. And then the final act is Mexico. Everything that happens in Mexico and is the, the fight against Aquarius. And that's everything that's, that's happening. But this time, I felt that this was just kind of a natural progression. Like, it didn't, when I first saw it, it felt kind of forced. This time, it doesn't feel as forced as 
Like, even when I was grabbing the clips today, I'm like, huh, you know, it kind of does make sense in the way that they bring it. Yeah, it feels like Aquarius could have been brought into the picture earlier. Like, we could have learned about him in some way. Because I feel like this character just kind of gets dropped in there. Like, okay, we need the Black Satans, somebody for them to fight against for this big climactic final battle that they're going to do. The Devil's Rejects, you know, versus Satans, you know. That's where we're going with these things. But I still, it feels like natural for what they're doing. I think once you see it and you kind of just implicate in your mind that that's the way the story goes, then you could actually watch everything else about it. And I'm right. It connects the dots really well. It explains why we had Rondo in the beginning. And yeah, I mentioned earlier that it feels like two different movies. And this is when the second Mm -hmm. movie starts, like this whole Mexico showdown, which I do love. And I have to give credit where credit's due to everybody in the movie, including Aquarius, played by Emilio Riviera. The guy is Mm -hmm. awesome. Oh, he's great. He, he it was in, um, I want to say he's in Sons of Anarchy, um, and he might have been in Mayans as well, or be in Mayans, I'm not sure, but that's where Patrick recognized from. He's like, every time I see that guy on the screen, he's like, I love him. Like, he, he could be like the next Danny Trejo if he really wanted to be, if he wanted to say, and here he is, Danny Trejo's son, you know, in this film, but he could if he just would say yes to a lot more things instead of no, you know. But he's he's good. He's good in this role. Uh, I think that the character is fine. Um, I just, I do wish that we had maybe been introduced to him sooner. Like, so that we could see that maybe he's been looking for them. And then now we're getting to this point where, oh my God, they're in my backyard. Right. I, you know, they, it's a tool. They used it to throw us off, which they did. It also showed immediately the kind of person that Carlos is. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, man. I mean... I remember sitting in theater and it takes a second, right? Because the camera pans through the house. You don't know who you're following, but you're like, did I just see Danny Trejo in a picture? Mm -hmm. And then up on the wall, there's a large portrait of him. And you're like, it's his son. And you know exactly where this movie's going to go. Exactly. And you, you don't know because this is the last movie in the trilogy. You don't know at this point how it's going to go. You know, is this going to be, you know, are they just going to decide to end it or is something different going to happen? Um, personally, I thought that, oh, so this is them actually getting their comeuppance. Maybe not everybody dies, but maybe he gets Otis, you know, because Otis killed his father. There's the revenge. He gets his revenge, but revenge isn't what it's cracked up to be. You That's know? true. And we've learned from previous movies that, uh, just because the next of kin comes after you, that doesn't mean that justice will be served. That's right. Sometimes it's somebody's granddaughter uh, that's going to take out her own grandpa. Oof. <laughs> so uh, basically we go back into the hotel room after we get this kind of mind blowing, not necessarily mind blowing, but eye opening revelation of who is going to be coming after them next and why we saw Rondo so early in the movie and again like that still makes me a little bit mad why he got taken out so terribly like i wish there was more to it i really do wish that it makes sense what you said makes sense that you know he's an assassin and he's just killing fools and i don't care what fool i kill because i just want to get paid you know i'm always going to say yes to whatever fool i kill 
Okay, you want me to go take out this fool? I'm going to say yes, I'll go take out this fool. But, you know, you go over there, you do a job, and, you know, they're away for 10 years. I don't remember who the fuck you are. I'm not even with DDP anymore. That's right. His ugly mug has left WCW and left Rob Zombie. But, dude, like father, like son. You know what I mean? We're, we're going to see that uh, we got some killers on our hands, and just like Devil's Rejects, they may have met their match, but we'll see. Yeah, and it's it's crazy. Like I said, if, if he had remembered him and he had said something like, you know, you know as cheesy as it might be, like, you kill me, I'm going to make sure that, you know, somebody's going to come after you. Then, okay, then they forgot about this. Like, they don't know the connection, and here you go. But again... They don't know the connection either. So we go back up into the hotel room. And this is where we kind of get that one like real moment. If you know what I mean in the film where they there's actual like moment of reflection where baby doesn't seem crazy. But the way that the conversation ends, it seems like she's even like they're all crazier than they actually are. Otis. Otis. Yeah. You ever think maybe it's not worth it? What? I don't know, anything. Thinking about Cutter? Yeah. The old bastard had a pretty good run. Did more living than most fuckers. Besides, we all get fucked in the end. I mean, what else is there? Nothing, I guess. It's just weird. What? Everybody's gone. It's just the two of us. Yeah, that's the past. Hey, I'm hearing down for anything. I mean, the two of us. That's the future. Come on, man. Shit, what am I, fucking invisible or what? The three of us. Yeah. I mean, we can still do a lot of destruction in this fucked up crazy world. You think? <laughs> Fuck yeah. Goddamn right. Well, okay. Ugh. Let's go get fucked up. And do some fucked up shit. <laughs> Sis, what other kind is there? <laughs> so this is, I think, another great little tribute, like a small little punch for Sid Haig, right? And I, I think that it's not just necessarily talking about Spalding and you know, or Cutter as, as he's known to them as well. But it's really kind of talking about Hag and his life. hundred percent, man. Like when I'm listening to it, I don't even think of it as Spalding or Cutter. It's thinking of what you and I said before we even started reviewing this movie is the kind of life that Sid Hag has had. And just knowing the kind of person that he was like, every time I hear this scene or I watch this scene, I just, I reflect myself just going, we lost a great one. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really kind of a cool homage to him. 
you know, and he wasn't gone at this time, but it was basically, you know, the character's gone and the character was a great character and he's left a legend behind. And so has Sid Haig. And I think a lot more people because of Rob Zombie came to appreciate for what he was. And I know people like you that knew way more stuff that he's done that enjoyed watching him as a kid in, in a kind of a kid's TV show, I guess you could say, you know, it's, it's cool that he has such a long lasting legacy, even upon, you know, the youth today that may have only known him from these movies. That's right. Cause man, he made appearances in star Trek. He made appearances in Batman, the uh, Adam West TV show. And so you get to see Sid Haig in his, dare I say, younger career. And then you get to see him in his later in life horror icon career. And you just look at all the things that he has done. You mentioned the black exploitation films earlier. Like what has he not done, Brian? He has done way more than some of us ever will do. They say he did a lot more living than most. That's right. So they decide to go and get fucked up because I like getting fucked up too. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And they go downstairs, they get some shots of tequila. Carlos tells them the first shot is free. And that's where you get the, the bicycle chicas uh, that are there. Cause everybody's had a, a ride as we'll learn later on. I'm sorry. I'm stepping over somebody else's lines. Uh, but yeah, I like the fact that one of the whores, she's like, I won't work with the fat one. And then, <laughs> you know, Otis is like, well, will you work with her? And she's like, yeah, I'll work with her cool we have a deal then and so otis gets two and you know poor you know wolfman jack over here only gets one <laughs> midnight wolfman right but you know what i think there's uh love in the room oh yeah love is in the air Ooh. um but uh and then you know she tries first before she goes with the midnight wolfman over here wolfie uh she, she tries to go after baby and baby's kind of like, eh, I'm kind of into it, but I want to know what's going on outside. And that's where there's a knife throwing competition. And Carlos, he says that, oh, the men here, they just like to flex their machismo. And she has a great line that she says, well, I want to flex my machismo too. Right. You know, yeah. I, I absolutely love that. And it's, again, it's a tribute to the, the character and the way that Sherry Moon is playing baby in this film. Yeah, the evolution of her um, that I'm sure we'll keep in continuously and always talk about is she's reached this pinnacle point where at times she's the silly baby firefly and at other times she's mother firefly and you don't double cross her. That's right. So she goes outside to go play the game of toss the knife into the wall thingy, um, <laughs> the knife throwing competition, and she puts her money down. She's got to take a shot at tequila and she's got to toss that knife. Now, I've always felt that this was, this is kind of cheesy because you kind of know the way that it's going to go. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm going to do that and she's just going to lose and she's going to show that she's manly in other ways. Of course she's going to win, you know, with everything that's going on. But I do like the way in which she wins. For sure. And this is a throwback to Devil's Rejects. We know she's a damn oh, yeah. good knife thrower. I think even in uh, in – House of Thousand Corpses, she shows some of her knife skills as well. Yeah. Well, Brian, I got a question for you. Sure. So I'm looking at these two guys who are also in the knife throwing contest. And you got the Hispanic guy that's being a stereotypical Hispanic guy, right? He's he's mm-hmm. doing everything he's gonna do. 
And then you got the other guy, and I don't know who this guy is. I didn't fact check it, but I'm going to tell you something, and it's going to stick with you forever. Why the heck does he look like a De La Das Muertos version of Kevin Nash? He kind of does, but he's not Kevin Nash. It's not, but... He does. He also looks kind of like an old fat version of uh, Kiefer Sutherland uh, <laughs> as a vampire. Oh, here we go. With the leather jacket. Well, he does have the leather jacket on, too. He does. Extra but, large. But, you know, the machismo Mexican guy, of course, you know, and, and honestly, I know this is probably me griping, but really, the Mexican guy should have gone second, and the Mexican guy should have been the one to get closer. Because always, like, the white guys, whenever they're in these types of things, they always like to brag so much, and they really can't throw those knives worth a rat's ass. Now, I'm not saying that if it was axe throwing that they wouldn't be better, but come on, give the Mexican guy at least a little bit of a chance to, like, flex himself here before he gets crushed by the little white girl. This is true. So, of course, the Mexican guy hits the, the thing in the shoulder, and it's and I do like Carlos's reaction to it when he measures it. He's like, seven inches, that's a length that you'd like to have. And then the white guy throws it, and it's only two inches away. That one, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, when the Mexican guy barely makes it on the board, he's like, it's too fucking loud out here. The fireworks, I can't hear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys all need to shut up. <laughs> they should have got, like, fucking Cheech Marin to do that or some shit. Oh, that would have been great, too. You know? So... Of course, you know, she goes over there. He says, the rules are you got to take the shot of tequila. Oh, she's too afraid. And then she takes the knife and she's using the big Bowie knife that Otis had. And she takes the shot. And then she's like, they're like, aren't you going to go? And she's like, no, this is called anticipation. It's called dramatic pause. And so so that she has that and she says to create tension. And I'm just like, I like the way that he's kind of going through here. He's creating that himself in this little scene that he's setting up and she's explaining at what Rob Zombie's doing in his camera work. Yeah, it's it's on the nose, man, and I absolutely love it. And one thing and I don't want to keep going backwards, but I just want to throw this out there that we didn't touch base on is that big Bowie knife that mm-hmm. she has that she got from Otis. He got from those two hunters in the woods. He cut her face off with it. Oh the, yeah. The hiker and that's just a straight nod to what he's done in the past two films. Yeah, I, I can't believe we've totally forgot to talk about the fact that he left that poor biker lady, which is weird because she's basically alive. She just doesn't have a face. Well, it's a skin on her face. Yeah, well, I don't. she ain't going to make it, dude. <laughs> well, you never know. Maybe somebody's going to come across her. She's going to walk down, you know, and then she's going to live the rest of her life with a reattached face. Yeah, like a Frankenstein maybe. monster. You know, the camera is going to come from the sky. Somebody's going to come pick up her face and wear it and maybe run out into the street. Maybe. Or, you know, Nicolas Cage is going to come by, figure out that she would look better with his face, and so he'll wear her face, and they're going to have a face-off. And everything's going to be great. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) That's a shout to JD. Um, (laughs) But it's it's cheesy, and you get this weird little sequence of, like, the party good time scene, where everything's done in basically like a kaleidoscope. Where, like, we're, we're hanging out, they're dancing, they're drinking, they're fading into each other back and forth. It's, I don't know, this is, again, one of those scenes where I could live with or live without. I feel like it just adds more running time to the movie that's already pretty long. I think it makes me wish I was there. And I felt the same way in Devil's Rejects. Like, when we have the music montage scene and everybody's just having a good time, 
again, you forget how bad these people are, and you're mm-hmm. like, man, I just want to party with them. Yeah, I, I want to party like all these Mexicans. You know, they're wearing all their Davy Lois Metros uh, makeup and everything like that, and you know, might as well go go with it and party on with a couple of killers. Even though I've never been to Mexico, but you can tell this is California, <laughs> Mexico. Yeah, and that's where I kind of thought that maybe the prison was in California versus in Texas, because this looks like, you know, you're going to Baja, California, which is, you know, down south, or this is like, you know, Tijuana two times removed or something like that right. that you've got there. You know, it's not as nice as something as like a Cancun or Puerto Vallarta or something like that, but, you know, it's it's more like a Laredo, like outside of Laredo, Texas or something like that. If any listeners have any connections to Rob Zombie, we just want to know which part of Mexico is this. <laughs> it's called the back lot of Universal. It uh, is, definitely. <laughs> so uh, we go ahead and cut over to the next morning. Everybody's got themselves a nice little hangover. And uh, there's a knock at baby's door. And who is it? But it's our friendly little man, Sebastian. And this is where Dave talked about it earlier where she gives, uh, and Zombie himself gives a very nice tribute to Tiny, and we kind of see her grow as a character, too, in this little scene. I bring breakfast. Right, come in. Right on. Yeah, I'm starving. Come on in. It's uh, arroz con frijoles. What's that? Rice and beans. I drop on table, man. Oh, hey, man, have a seat. I'm sick of eating alone. Besides, I don't know where my fucking brothers are at. They're just with the town bicycle chicas. Huh? The bicycle girls, everyone in town has had a ride. <laughs> I joke. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's good. Oh. There's going to be some weird-looking babies popping out in nine months then. <laughs> yeah, maybe with two heads. That's <laughs> 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 scary. You're so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Gracias. You know, you kind of remind me of my brother, Tiny. Tiny? I mean, he was really huge, and you're pretty small. You guys have the same vibe. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm horrible. He thought he was horrible, too. I thought he was beautiful in some weird kind of way, though. Yeah. My daddy always said, anything one of a kind is pretty special. What are you... Your papa is a very wise man. And he, I bet he was very, very handsome to have such a beautiful, beautiful daughter. Yeah, I guess so. So, you've got a nice little tribute to Tiny here in this little scene because they're, you know, he's comparing himself. And he even said, like Carlos said, oh, he's a monster. But he's not really a monster. Was it because he has one eye? Because he's a tiny dude? Like, is there something wrong with him that we don't know? And even he says, oh, I'm horrible. I'm horrible. You know, I'm also waiting for him to say to plane to plane. But that's a whole nother thing that could be going on here with this guy. But and that's probably really terrible of me at the same time. 
<laughs> but it's it's kind of cool to to have her be like you know because you're special and you're different that means that you're actually a really like kind of wonderful thing right and if you've seen rob zombies movies you'll recognize this actor and it's a polar opposite character than what we've seen him so brian i agree with you he's one of the best characters in this movie and the dude can act and the chemistry is out of this world between him and sherry moon zombie so much so that like he's one of them like, he is a member of their family at this point yeah and it's funny because he i bet you he didn't want that he just got mega friend zoned <laughs> by baby and he's just like especially like you're like my brother he's like oh he's like wait are you from arkansas <laughs> yeah what what part of the south are you exactly from <laughs> you know we could be cousins that'd be okay right if we we're twice removed second cousins but it's it's a nice little heartfelt scene we cut over we see that uh you know otis is busy asleep with the two girls um, and we get some big ass titties and we get some fake ass titties uh, from the two girls. I mean, that one girl's titties are so fake. Like it's ridiculously fake. I thought Uh, we were watching this movie in 3d. (laughs) Pretty much. It's about to jump out to you. One, any moment you can, you know, put your eye on it and it's probably going to put your eye out. It's what it's probably going to do. Uh, But he gets up and he goes to what he thinks is the bathroom, but instead he's peeing over on like a, uh like a dresser or something like that that's in the corner (laughs) and they're asking like what are you doing oh you crazy and then uh you know we also get to see the tidy whities again and that's when he gets it back into the bed and something's poking out there but it happens to be the barrel of the gun is sticking out of his underwear and you notice brian's the one that keeps bringing that up that's true but you're the one that brought the tidy whities first (laughs) Mm -hmm. i'm Um, just making sure that people See the callback to Devil's Rejects. <laughs> sure, sure. They're a lot cleaner, though, in this one than they were in the Devil's Rejects. Yeah, what's up with that? I don't know. Maybe they, they clean them before you put them on in the middle of the night. But anyway, we go over, and we also see uh, Mr. Midnight Wolfman, and he's hanging out with uh, the, the girl that he brought, who I guess we've got all different types of titties in this movie because she's got the tiny titties. Um, but, you know, she kind of looks like a stand-in Michelle Rodriguez. Like, she's got that kind of face. Like, you'd be like, oh, if she were to be like Michelle Rodriguez's double, you know, for a movie, you'd be like, okay, I get it. You know, when it's far away. But up close, she's not quite there. But that's just me. And so she gets up and she's changing the channels. And I think we probably also get the other part that, uh, you know, Dave really enjoys in this film. Uh, And I'm pretty sure that also... You know, our our friend, Jed Bryan, he would also enjoy this part of this movie uh, because we get a little quote from a famous Lon Chaney movie. That's it. Leave it on that one. I love this movie. What is this? I don't like it. That's Lon Chaney. It's Quasimodo, baby. It don't get any better than that. <laughs> Although Charles Lawton was pretty fucking great, too. But... So ugly. I never realized till now how ugly I am. And that's because you're so beautiful. 
<laughs> You're so so crazy. Loco. <laughs> Everybody's crazy. Every white man in this movie is crazy. Loco. But I I do like the Quasimodo scene, and I do like the like kind of how he's pulling her in. She doesn't quite know what it is, but and she thinks that he's just saying something to her where he's just because she already thinks that that's her boyfriend now you know and he's just basically like spewing shit at her you know just using a line from a movie to impress her yeah man and i I, you stole my shout out and i love it (laughs) because i was gonna do this and i love it the fact that you just know that about jed is so awesome and yes uh, jed bryan is a huge lon cheney fan so am i and this is what i love about rob zombie so much i said it earlier i'll say it again it's just the love for classic movies and then the Quasimodo characters from 1923 to Hunchback in Notre Dame, two years before Lon Chaney did Phantom of the Opera. This is when the game changed, man, because the makeup work and the acting ability. And I love that they give uh, Charles Lawton um, the love too, because even though that movie, it, it was a talkie where uh, Lon Chaney's film was a silent film, the performances are amazing. But getting back to the scene, this is something that Richard Brake is tied to on two different accounts, in my opinion, because there's another movie he's in where you get a Nosferatu scene, and I'm just like, man, Rob Zombie knows his movies. Oh, I thought you were going to say that one scene in Doom where he starts like talking about all the different vampires and stuff that he's loved before. See, the funny part is the, the fact that you remember Doom and I don't. <laughs> That's because I spent a good couple hours with the movie more than once. It's not actually a couple hours. I spent way too much time with that goddamn movie. Oh, fucking doom. But, so, now we go back over to Baby and Little Man over here, Sebastian. And they're, you know, they're still talking. They're token out with each other. And he's getting a little high. He's like, I feel funny. And she's like, that's because it's working. And then he starts playing around with her monkey and also drawing her as she's dancing around the room as Indagata Davida starts playing in the background. And all of a sudden you look out the window and there's three coffins that are being pulled out of a truck. And, and there's Carlos there. And all of a sudden, the Black Satans roll into town. And they all start getting out of their cars. And they hand over the money. Uh, Aquarius hands over the money to Carlos, to which he looks. And he's, like, all excited because he got all this extra cash. Uh, and he's Now, the thing about him is that he does not get out of town fast enough for my tastes. You know, before shit really starts going down, I would already have my car ready. I'd have everything fucking packed. As soon as I got that money, get in that car. I'm fucking busting out of here because I don't care who survives. They're probably going to come back and fucking kill me in some way, shape, or form. So I could be wrong about this, but when the coffins are brought in, it's either an El Camino or a Ford Rancher. I don't, I couldn't tell they hit all the emblems and I'm not a car guy to know, but everybody knows what El Camino looks like. That car comes in. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this is the car that he attempts to leave town in. And so if that's the case, that's why he didn't leave. His car was not there. It was transporting coffins. So I think it was a truck that was bringing it in. And I think his car, or maybe you might be right. I don't know challenge (laughs) challenge to go back if anybody knows exactly what he drove in and maybe that's the reason why he could but i still would have you know once the coffins got out and you got paid i don't care if that thing's hooked up or whatever trailer just get the fuck out of there did you see that limp he had i didn't i could be wrong i don't know if he had that earlier in the movie but yeah when he collected the money he limped away so maybe he's just slow yeah he might be slow too but he definitely had the limp in one of the other scenes as well um so you have 
you have him and the, the black Satans coming out and then baby looks out the window just in time to see all the vents and like, what are those things? And that's where Sebastian tells her exactly who they are and that they're here for you because Carlos points up, he points to one direction, points to another direction, and then he points up at her. Why the fuck are pointing at me? And it's because she's on their shit list and she's going to be killed unless they do something. And this is where Sebastian like kind of acts like now he's repaying the kindness that she's paid to him by treating him like normal, not treating him like the monster that everybody believes he is because he's just a short man missing an eye. Um, she, he goes and gets uh, prepares to warn everybody else so that she can get back and get her stealth attack on. Yeah, man. I, I remember watching the scene and seeing the transition of his character and you knew from the get go that he was soft on her, mm-hmm. but yeah, the way she treats him, <laughs> friend zone like a brother, but he owns up to it and he becomes that brother character because his intentions right away, he's like, he wants her to hide and he's going to do what he can to help them out. Right. And he's going to go against his boss's wishes, who basically got all the money to turn them in, to rat them out. So this is where a lot of the chaos begins and you get a lot more of the deaths in the movie. Uh, we see that some of the uh, Black Satans, they're going to attack Baby, but she's got her bow and arrow ready, and she basically takes one out right in the neck with her arrows. And I see that she's got almost like what feels like an unlimited supply of arrows, because she never takes the arrows back from anybody that she kills. And then that. she also jumps up on the on a uh, like a, drawer, or a dresser drawer, and then when the next guy comes in to see what's happened to his friend, she takes him out in the head with an arrow as well. What's your opinion on how it's done? Like, what do you think about Baby and the bow and arrows? Well, I think she's got, like, her stealth skill leveled up to, like, 128 or something like that. <laughs> like, and you ever notice, too, I noticed this the entire movie, her feet are always fucking dirty. Yes, and earlier, whenever she's like, smell me, she's like, this girl needs a shower. She clearly never took one. No, because her feet are fucking caked with dirt still. Like, the girl doesn't wear shoes. All she does is walk around with her bare feet. Right. Well, there is a scene where she does put flip-flops on, but it's after her feet are muddied up and you get a nasty view of it. But, dude, I want to confess this right here. I love the cinematography. I knew it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a cinematography whore. Dude, the, the, what, what they do in this movie with the zooming in and showing baby just from, like, the face up, right? Just the, the way that – I don't know what you call it. What do you call the Native American oh, – The headdress? Feathered, yeah. Okay. Headdress. Is that right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's just a headdress. Dude, I just love the colors of it and everything. It looks so good, but man, like it was made for her and she is rocking yeah. that thing. And she is, she is deadly with a knife. She is deadly with a bow and arrow. And I just love, we're going to talk about some of the death scenes as we go through here and what Rob chose to do. And it might affect some rating later. I don't know, but yeah. dude, I just, had it been her just shooting, it would have been one way, but I think the fact that she uses that bow and arrow, it, it ramps it up for me. Yeah, the bow and arrow is also the only really like practical thing that we get, right, out of everything that's going on here. And watching it, honestly, on a smaller screen versus watching it on the big screen, I don't notice this as much. But when you're watching it on the big screen, you can really tell the digitized effects for the blood and for all the gunshots that are going on uh, in the scenes that we see. Like, but with the bow and arrow, it kind of keeps it in that realm of practical 
and you get, you know, even though they're more like reaction shots, like, here we go, I'm letting loose. And then the next scene is a guy falling over with the arrow already stuck in it. Like, we never see it actually penetrate anything. So we know that it's always a prop. But I appreciate that we get some type of practical kill at the For same sure. time. And, and I think we've always stood on the same page that we'll take practical over CGI, even if it is slightly off screen. But when we reviewed Devil's Rejects and we discovered how much of that was digital that we didn't realize because Rob, he crafted the idea of mixing practical and CGI. Mm -hmm. And in this one, you get a lot more of the CGI blood. Yeah. Cause it's a lot cheaper to do. And when that's really what yourself, it is. You know? <laughs> yeah. When, when the film itself only costs $3 million versus a $20 million film, you know, you don't have the investment of all these other different outlets to, to fund your film so you can get better practical effects then you're going to deal with what you deal with, right? Right. Because even the blood, like when you have the blood inside the, uh, you know, we get the practical effect when she killed the two girls, but what was written on the floor kind of seemed CGI as well. It didn't seem like it was actual, like they spent the money on the makeup to make the floor look the way it did. Even the blood pouring out of some of the other people's faces, even when like Clint Howard got shot in the head, it's just like all of a sudden there's the bullet hole that's there. There's no blood spatter or not as much as you would expect you know it's easier to clean up when it's cgi that's right you know you don't have to bring in those special crews every day and you can just take a paper towel and some 409 and you can get it nice and clean like terry cruz that's like terry cruz that's right <laughs> uh, so we cut over and we see that little man he's made it over to otis's place and he manages to warn him like right away but as soon as he does that's when some of the black satans attack and unfortunately, they kill two of the girls that were, you know, having fun with Otis the night before. And those poor girls just get, like, blown away. Like, one of them, she answers the door first naked, and then it's the little guy. And then she goes to the door next and answers it naked and takes, like, 16 bullets, like, right through her. And just, that's it. A couple deflated titties later, and she's down on the ground. I got to say, I'm surprised she died because, you know, they took 20 shots and they lived. Oh, I know. took 16. <laughs> I know. And, and she happens to be dead. And then the poor fat chick that's on the bed, she takes one right through the cheek, too. You can see in, like, one of the slow-mo shots, you see it go through. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's pretty rough. But both Sebastian and Otis survive. And uh, for some reason, you know, the Midnight Wolfman, Wolfie over here, he was able to get out in time like and you didn't see him get warned at all so earlier whenever what's his name the um carlos when he's pointing three different ways it made me think they were in three different buildings and mm -hmm. I, we know they all shared a room right together um but then when the party broke out and they met the girls it's like each girl worked a different wing of the hotel and so that's why they were separated so he didn't he was able to get out because I don't think they had made it to his room yet. Well, he had, was able to get out, but who warned him? Because you don't see Sebastian going over there and saying, hey, guess what? There's, you know, there's people here. Unless he's his building is closer and he heard the gunshots and he's like, I need to get, and I think something is going down out there. That's a possibility too. But it's just kind of weird that he's all of a sudden, like, as they're being attacked, he's running out of the place. We, we do go into her building as well because Aquarius goes there and he's going to, was going to go and take out that, uh, you know, the midnight wolf man, I guess by himself or whomever was in there, he was going to be the one to take out. But 
she ends up talking back to him and he just shoots her in the back of the head. Well, that's because she called him by his full name. <laughs> she knew yeah. who he was. <laughs> exactly. So, and you know, he also called her a puta bitch, which I hate that because it's the same fucking word. It's like when you say, uh, what is it? Carne asada steak. That's steak steak. You don't call somebody a puta bitch. It's a bitch bitch, you know? <laughs> so it's like, uh, you know, you can call her a fucking puta, puta de madre, you know? Oh. <laughs> you don't want to use that one, but you could do it. Call her a cabron if you want, you know? But puta bitch, you fucking puta bitch. Come on. Like, that's, you're just, you're getting to the people that don't know swear words in Spanish. There's one thing that you need to know in Spanish it's how to swear. So, confession, I didn't pick up on that. So, you ruined it for me, bro. Now I know it's bitch, bitch. Oh, well, there you go. Well, now you know it's bitch, bitch. So, if you're here, puta bitch. If anybody out there ever hears puta bitch, bitch, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so, don't you call me a bitch, puta? <laughs> see? see, that works because there's like a comma in between. There's like a space, yeah. <laughs> yeah, see? So, so he kills her. Uh, Wolfie gets out. And Otis manages to survive. He does take he does hit one in the shoulder with one of the shots. And as they're counting to three to come in, that's where Wolfie shows up and he takes both of them out with his shotgun. Because he only had one bullet left and he's here to save the day. So Otis picks up one of their uh like semi-automatic or automatic rifles that they have with them, and they go out into the town to basically kill who's ever trying to kill them. We see a uh, baby, and I believe this is the point when she goes into the church, right? Yes. Yeah, she goes into the church. I'm just trying to remember everything that's going on in this scene. She goes into the church, and I like the way that it's set up. There's that like weird like disco ball above the uh, the cross, you know, and it, it's it's kind of a weird but kind of cool, kind of funky set design. Yeah, Rob's, he's always really creative with his set design, and the choreography is always really cool, but... He never shies away from the things he does, especially with like religion and faith. And so it's really cool because we get a church scene here. We get a church scene in Lords of Salem. We get church scenes and all kind of other movies that he does. But yeah, this one is definitely like the most hip environment. And I guess that just gives props to Carlos, right? He's making a place that you can hang out with and go to church the next morning if you're sober enough, which Brian, we didn't even touch base on how much these people drink. Like I don't drink at all. So I would already call myself a terrible uh, drinker, right? But baby even mouthwashes with vodka and tequila in this scene oh yeah Otis wakes up and finishes off a beer and goes back to bed at one point i'm just like dude like i these people would out drink me in two seconds well you know the best way to cure hangover is get smashed once again not true the best way to cure a hangover is a monster rehab promote me monster we'll do good things (laughs) be careful then we'll end up with manscape promotions too (laughs) manscape my balls feel fucking smooth as hell Uh, but uh, so you have them roaming the town you have this cool little church scene and then she's basically uh, you know held up by one of the the black satans that's there and he has a pretty cool line I forget exactly what he says to her Uh, and it's something about God I know that it's something about there and about praying Uh, but Sebastian comes and uh, basically takes his shot at him and then she managed to take an arrow and shoot him through the head. And when yes. he does, she does that, then he sprays his gun and it hits Sebastian. And Sebastian drops. So he was able to save her, 
from being killed by this guy, but he ends up getting wounded himself. He does, and we see him laying on the floor. And I don't know if it really shows him getting shot, but it, when it goes back, you're like, where's Sebastian? And he's laying on the floor bleeding. Yeah, because all you see is the guy with the arrow, and he just and then she gets she stabs him in the back of the head a bunch of times too. Yeah, she does. And you know, Brian, the one thing we we didn't talk about yet was we didn't describe what the black satans look like. Oh yeah, the black satans—they're uh, basically Mexican wrestlers. <laughs> luchadors. Yeah, they're all luchadors. They all got the luchador mask, and then he, uh, Aquarius—he's got the black suit with the mm-hmm. black luchador mask. And they're all wearing white suits with a red luchador mask. And they all have the, you know, satanic, uh, whatever that, uh, fuck, what is it called? Pentagram. The pentagram, right. Yeah, the, the, see? Look at me. I can There's remember some, shit. Some kind of geometry there. What was it? How many yeah, sides? It's some kind of like star <laughs> that's upside down. And it's evil. And it summons demons. But I can't remember what it is. Oh, it must be a Ouija board. Um <laughs> But yeah, so they've got the pentagrams on there and it's definitely more apparent on Aquarius's head rather than it is on the other one's heads. But still, I mean, it. I like the outfit design, to be honest. Like, I like the fact that they're in suits. I like that they're wearing the luchador masks. Again, I wish that we knew more about the Black Satans. Like, before they're getting into Mexico, like if we had been introduced to this gang and the fact that it was Danny Trejo's, you know, son that controlled this and they control a bunch in and out the area you know and they didn't know about it and they didn't know that they were coming there just like i want a little more backstory rather than hey we need cool looking guys to be the fodder for the last scene because that's that kind of been, what it feels like that would have been cool man like earlier having whenever danny trejo's character rondo is riding in the back of the truck when they're they were going to be taken be executed but you said they were not work but the thing is like how cool would it have been for him to plant that seed like you think you're safe if you ever get out of here you better fear the black satans or something like that and then earlier in the movie yeah we get um you know the black satans like news clippings of them doing mass murders on the search or or whatever the case is but it would have fed up to this here but we we both know it's two different movies pieced together rob did what he could and uh, it works for us because these actors sell it yeah, and I mean, when you look back at, like, The Devil's Rejects, and, you know, if we hadn't been introduced to uh, Captain Spaulding's friend, you know, who, whose name is escaping me for some reason. Charlie? Uh, Charlie. There you go. See, that's why I keep you around so you can remember names when I fucking forget them. Um, <laughs> luckily, when we do the next one, there are no other movies to fucking connect anything to. It's just the fucking movie. Uh, but it's... You, you, if you didn't get that little scene with him, I think towards the beginning of the movie, and he just all of a sudden showed up, like you would have been like, okay, well, it's fine because it's acted well, but who the fuck is this guy? Right. But since you got it, and you at that point, you're like, okay, well, who the f- why did I get introduced this guy? Oh, because he's important to the story later on. You know, Danny Trejo kind of serves that purpose as being Rondo in the beginning, but there's no tie back to his son other than, oh, they're in Mexico. Guess what? We know that the son's looking for them only because Carlos knows it. And that's when we get this like transition. So, yeah, you're right. It's two different movies. I totally get it. But I wish that he had maybe edited or cut it in a way so that we would have Aquarius and his gang ends a little bit of what's going on at least seeing a scene of him saying dad i'm gonna find the guys that killed you i i know it sounds super cheesy and dumb 
maybe not dumb, but super cheesy. It, it feels cheesy to me to do that, but it introduces the character and then, okay, I get it why he's here at this point. Right. You know, like, why is Carlos calling him? You know, oh, we're just, we need a, another villain for them. You know, we need a villain for the villains. That's what it feels like. And that's where, like, I struggle with it. But like you said, the, the guy, you know, Aquarius is played so well and the scenes here are so well done that it's there. I gave it a little bit of a pass rather than just being like, I can't enjoy this anymore. Well, you have to, because if you're going to go too far into it, then you're going to start asking questions of like, my, it's so convenient that they went to the hotel that Carlos owns. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Take it for what it's worth. So, you know, after they kill the poor guy, that's when Aquarius steps in and he holds baby at gunpoint and uh, leaves. He's going to kill, you know, uh, poor Sebastian, but he says, you know what? You're not worth the bullet. And I wonder if that's going to come back to bite him in the ass, but we shall see. Um, We go back outside and this is where we have Otis running into Carlos and actually dealing with him directly and treating him like the fucking rat that he is. Going somewhere, motherfucker? Uh, yeah, matter of fact, I was thinking going on a little vacation. Well, think again. No, man, you think again. You can't beat this. Once the Black Sages arrive, man, it's already over. Man, you messing with the wrong dudes. Man, you brought this down on yourself and everybody else. Man, I'm just middle man stuck in the middle, in the middle, in the middle. Boy, rat sure can't squeak. Squeak me a story, rat. Man, I'm telling you, man, you should just go and die easy. You can't beat this, man. Get this through your thick skull. It's over. It's over, man. You can't win. Maybe not. But I got something to tell you, rat. What? You sure can fucking lose. Whoa, whoa, hold on, man. Just, just hold on. I, I'm just a guy trying to survive from hustle to hustle, man. I got nothing against you. I got nothing against nobody, man. I'm a nice guy. Go on. How I need so, um, uh, we uh we split the money uh fifty fifty sixty forty uh seventy thirty how about that we cool yeah we cool oh man I, I need you to see my way fucking rat. So there goes the rat Carlos. He's now down and out for the count for good. And, you know, it's, do you feel like it's a fitting end for that character? For Carlos? Yeah. Uh, I didn't hate him enough for him to go out like this, but damn, the scene was awesome. And watching him get hit with that assault rifle or, or whatever it is, so close at gun like just watching the blood just go everywhere in the car and it's going all over otis and the windshield and he falls down and you get the cheesy ass mexican horn <laughs> sound it's, out of his uh, car i just was like wow that just happened yeah it's it it's just the perfect amount of cheese to be super entertaining yes and so we then see you know wolfie walking around the town and he's approached from behind by aquarius and so he's captured too now they're both tied up in the center of the town and he's being basically called out. You know, Otis is being called out because, you know, he wants to get his revenge and he's going to basically take them out one by one until he, well, shows his ugly face. I think your brother has left you to rot. I'm not surprised. 
Come on out! It's time to fill these boxes! One bullet! For every second you make me wait! Look at that. The last member of our funeral party has arrived. You should have stayed in prison. Being a free man has been hazardous to your health. At this point, life seems hazardous to my health. Yes, but that problem will soon be solved. Let her go. She's got nothing to do with this shit. Yes, I do! Shut the fuck up, baby! These ropes off me and I'll kill every fucker here with my bare hands. God damn it, I'm trying to save your fucking life. Fuck! It's all me. True. But you above anyone else and understand that family is family. So she'll pay for your sins just as hard as you do. But since I'm a nice guy, I won't let you pick who dies first. the mongoloid <laughs> you want me how about you and me no guns just two machetes makes no difference to me drop your weapon see if you got what it takes to keep Blondie alive what do you think foxy I think we're fucked, man. No way! Fucking kill him! Kill him! Kill him! Kill him all! So, I've got a little fact here for you if you didn't uh, know already. Let's do it. So, you know that's how Metallica decided the name of that album, Kill Em All? I'm just saying Kill Em All. <laughs> Directly from Baby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dumb joke, I know, but hey. I thought- I thought you were going to name drop, like, Machete. I thought Danny Trejo was dead. Yeah, I know. Machete <laughs> is just going to pop out of the middle of fucking nowhere and start killing fools. I'll take you on, Machete to Machete. Oh, shit, it's Machete! <laughs> but he's a Mexican superhero, so, you know, he'd, he'd probably take up the devil's rejects is what he would. But, yeah, I mean, the whole scene is uh, set up pretty well. I mean, you have it's your classic standoff scene. You know, he's they think that they have the upper hand, but really there's only, what, three of the black satans left after everybody that's been there there's just the the two guys that are there plus aquarius and that's it it. they've managed to kill everybody else off in some way shape or form which is crazy like that they he only brought like a total of what six black satans they've never faced the the uh, firefly family before so that's true they probably only face you know low-level thugs and they just come in and kill but, you know, from what I understand, Mexican cartels are nothing to fuck with. So, you know, I guess neither are the Firefly family. So he's got him out there. He puts one bullet into Foxy over here. Uh, and who happens to survive just fine? Because I guess he doesn't hit an artery. He just shoots him kind of in the shoulder. Everything seems okay because the blood also stops pretty quickly. Uh, and then while he's got everybody all there and they're getting ready to go down and start 
knife fighting. That's when Sebastian comes out of the middle of nowhere with his knife and cuts both Foxy and Baby free. Yeah, makes you uh, wonder about that one bullet that he didn't use, which, you know, earlier you talked about the idea of how Baby never ran out of arrows. Mm -hmm. Aquarius fires like, I don't know what kind of gun that is. I'm not a gun guy, but he fires seven times into the air. Yeah, he may have Um, a clip that, uh, that holds like 12 bullets. Is that a thing? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not okay. a gun guy either. I'm probably getting shit for that, but I don't give a fuck. Um, <laughs> we podcast. He, leave us alone. Yeah, exactly. But he might have a clip that holds enough bullets in it to be able to okay. do that. But that's a lot of fucking bullets to waste. And they got to fall down somewhere. If you're just right? shooting them straight up in the air. Aren't they eventually going to hit you in the fucking head? Good thing well, he's shooting fucking blanks into the air. <laughs> that's right. And then the guy who's with him also fires the machine gun into the air a little bit. Yeah. It's just, just like... Just, <laughs> like okay just another my day yeah just another day in durango <laughs> yeah, that's right oh yeah tomorrow there's another gun firing this time they're gonna bring out two ak's hey they're having another machete fight yeah and uh, the machete fight is is okay you know it's they each get their licks in on each other uh this is where it kind of you can kind of tell that you know Bill might be wearing some sort of fat suit a little bit because it doesn't seem to really jiggle that much, <laughs> especially in the last scene after he's been all cut up. You the can detail. tell that it's like, it's it's good detail, but you can tell that it doesn't move. Oh, no, don't you uh, talk about detail. I'm saying the details that you're paying attention to on Otis here. You know, oh. The head sticking out. Is it the gun? You know, you got the fat suits not moving. Like, hold on. Hey, he's the only one that basically is showing any skin in this movie at this point. Right. Yeah, everybody else is dead. Yeah. Well, and everybody else has, you know, most of their clothes on, too. So right. you can only look no. at something. If I'm going to have to look at some titties, I'm going to have to look at Otis's titties. <laughs> so from here, we, you know, we see the knife fight. They manage to get away. And that's when Aquarius realizes that, hey, well, one Aquarius' goons realizes, hey, where did Baby go? they turn around and they go, you know, and they go after her, but uh, doesn't, let's see, I don't remember if Foxy takes the first shot or if um, uh, Sebastian does. Because I know Sebastian kills one of them. Foxy kills the other one. And then Baby manages to put the knife to Aquarius's throat. Yeah. And then the machete guy dies. You know, because right. he he stops paying attention to the machete fight, which that's the only reason that he lost. Yeah, let, let's be honest. Um, Otis was not winning that fight by any oh, no. means. And uh, you're right. We saw Bill Mosley's age coming out as well. Um, he did what he could, but you, yeah, he was a lot slower than that other guy. And he looked tired some, man. But, you know the retribution that he gets like the other guy stops paying attention bill mosley goes to town on him oh, yeah and what does he call him the mongoloid like he yeah. guts that guy yeah he just keeps stabbing him in the stomach over and over and over again you see the blood just kind of pouring out of him and you know he he got what he got for gloating but honestly he should have been the one that beat his ass a lot earlier than he did true so so, so now they've got aquarius you know, the, he did manage to shoot poor Sebastian, so Sebastian's dead um, and gone, which which sucks because I don't think that character should have died. Like, that was the one character I was like, I really want that guy to live. Like, even if he lived to be killed by the Fireflies, 
But I think that if the Fireflies tried to kill him, like Baby would have been there and been like, no, you're a part of us now. You're going to come with us and right. we're going to live as a family, right? And I would have rather have seen that. I know that's cheesy again too, but I like that character so much. That's that's Brian's version of the film. Baby's carrying him on her shoulders or something, but... That's right. It, it sucked. Um, I was attached to the character as well, but it's just the way that it goes with these kind of stories is somebody has to take it right somebody always gets killed that you don't want to free uh other people and it sucks but he was the only one left anyway like everyone else was dead so so what you're telling me is that twister's sister got it wrong and we're gonna have to take it that's right okay just so i know snyder yeah yeah well so now they go ahead and they grab his gun from him and we're gonna learn what the final moments are for Aquarius, which are also the final moments for us with the Firefly family as they get him ready to burn him to a crisp and then we go right into the end theme of the movie. What are you waiting for? Nothing. Just waiting for him to break. Something in the eyes snaps. Is that it? No. Keep watching. It looks pretty goddamn broken to me. Then that was it. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) I want him good and crispy. I know how to cook a fucking corpse. Passwords. Fuck you. Fuck you! They always say that. Fuck you! Adios, motherfucker.
And so that was Three from Hell. And Dave, what do you feel about the ending and the way that the movie just kind of ended there? I mean, there's a lot more over that song. There's like them traveling off, but. It was interesting because with $3 million, I guess you can't afford to get Leonard Skinner back again, but um, (laughs) you can still do a driving montage. But you know what? I got to say, Brian, I was so shocked. I would have thought. 15 years later, they make a third movie. It would be to put the nail in the coffin. And I, for the life of me, was astounded that they all survived. Yeah, it was really weird. Like, I really felt that, you know, when they introduced the Black Satans and they talked about how badass they are and that nobody fucking survives them, that something was at least going to happen to one of them. You know, like Otis would possibly be killed, you know, and then maybe Baby would be the only one to survive. Maybe you had, you know, Foxy over there. He's going to die, you know, because he's not really known, right? And that would be the reason why I would have him die. And that Otis was going to die, maybe protecting Baby. And Baby was going to get, you know, kill, say, Aquarius and be the last one left alive to go off on her own, you know. And then that's done. And then if you want to do another movie with just Baby, he could. But I think that he even said that this is the way that he's leaving it. Oh, well. If he well, makes we it don't the movie, know. she's going to be in it. I mean, sure, you zombies and everything. But yeah, and you know what? I don't have a problem with it. And I felt like it was such a cool ending, though, even though it's, it's an abrupt ending. Dude, CGI or not, like watching somebody being burned alive always hurts. And this oh, yeah. guy, I loved the, the psychological part, you know, of like watching his character break, like where he you can see it's like he realizes he's going to die. He's not playing the tough man act no more. And then when he starts to burn and you hear him, like even in the clip, he's screaming in the background. Oh yeah. It just, it's so good. Yeah. He's just, he's screaming like a, like a little kid, you know, like there was something else I remember. I can't remember what it was that I watched. And it's like, you know, before every man dies, they scream for their mom, you know, or their parents. Yeah. And it's like, that's kind of the way that this is too. When you're, you're stuck in this situation. That's who you're crying out for, you know? And he's just like, he's going to die. He knows it. And I, I love the way that that's set up in there that, you know, I just wait for them to break. And the moment that they do, that's when it's time to start. And is that it? Nope. Nope. Ah, uh, I bet you that's it. Right. And that's like, cause you can even see it on his face. It's like, he's trying to be hard man and trying to stay hard. And then eventually, then he gets to the point where, he just like he winks a little bit, and that's where he's completely broken. Right, he snaps you know? out of it. Yeah, and and what a fitting way for them to end with, uh, you know, somebody they're about to kill, tell him to fuck off. Yeah, and you know, even just saying motherfucker, I was like, is that the last word? It's <laughs> great. Mm-hmm. Okay, so out of the clips, I believe we have ten motherfuckers, but there's plenty more in this movie as well that are not in the clips that uh, we put together for the podcast. That's right. So. so uh, overall, I mean, this movie right now, as the time of the recording, it's available if you have Shutter. It's a Shutter exclusive, so I don't think it's going to be going off Shutter anytime soon. If you have the chance to see it, I would recommend that you watch it. Dave, would you recommend that people watch the movie? Absolutely, especially if you've been following the trilogy as it goes. Anyway, it's you have to see how the story ends. Now, it, I understand that you know where we kind of sit with everything, but do you think for some? that the mileage may vary in how they'll react to the movie? I don't know. That's really tough because my family 
or all the horror fans in my family really love House of a Thousand and Devil's Rejects. And we have nothing but great things to say about this movie. But I know that it has the lowest rating of the three and it definitely mm-hmm. has mixed reviews. So unfortunately, and as much as I hate to say it, I think I will have to say that your mileage may vary. Yeah, I I think that there might be some, like, if you if you got tired of some of Zob- Rob Zombie's later movies, some of that shows in this, right? But I feel like it's not like what what some might consider to be some of the worst of Rob Zombie's movies, that's not in this, right? Yes, he has a penchant for overdoing the dialogue. Yes, I, I said the same thing to Dave that I said with when I did the clips for you know, uh, the devil's rejects where there's just so much dialogue in this movie that there's stuff I just have to cut out, you know, but I, I feel that in these films, he knows where his characters are and he uses that to his advantage. And the actors are so good and are so attuned to those characters in these movies. Cause even now, you know, Otis is still Otis. Yeah. Bill Mosley's a little bit older, but he's still Otis. There's nothing I can change about that. It's not like the character's any different than before. Some people may think that the plot, I think, meanders kind of like what I originally thought, but I actually think it's a lot tighter than I gave it credit for. Anybody that watches it only once, hasn't seen it enough, I think it gets better as it goes along. I agree. I can agree with that. I think that, uh, you know, when when I first saw it, I probably gave it like a three. Um, I think you can even go back on the YouTube channel because I did do an initial reaction review with Patrick when we were doing the car reviews. And I think I gave it a three out of five. Um, but now I've, I've given a little bit of a longer look. And so let's find out uh, what we have rated this film. Uh, so gore on this film, of course, how bloody is it? How gory is it? Uh, what would you give the gore factor of this film? There are some scenes that are graphic, but there are other scenes that are hindered because of the CGI. And I feel like the last half of our movie is pretty tame in itself. And so I'm going to go middle of the road and say a three out of five. Yeah, I kind of agree with you there. Um, I definitely go with a three out of five on the gore. Um, There are some great little ones in the beginning, like we see when she's attacked by those two ladies, two prisoners and the intestines are hanging out. It's pretty gory, you know? And there's a couple of things with, you know, there isn't the crazy sexual deviant stuff that there was in Devil's Rejects that was done, um, which was disturbing, and I kind of lump into that gore area. But like you said, when you get into the end, that's a lot of CGI bullets and CGI blood spread, and it just kind of knocks everything down. Even though it's violent, I'll, I'll give it that, but it's almost like that could be, like, pg violence versus r violence like sometimes the violence in this is the violent on your ears because it's so profane laced that you know fuck is just like tap water to them exactly so out of the crap factor what would you give it so this one is probably the hardest rating for me because when i know when we come on your show we try to look at it outside the lens and it's hard to not just give everything a five out of five because Mm -hmm. I love Rob Zombie, but looking at it as a critic, I'm going to go three out of five on the crap factor because right out of the gate, like why are they alive? They shouldn't be alive. Mm -hmm. And so you have to get past that. And then everything else, even though I like how it's written, there's a lot of things that are just convenient. 
Yeah, um, I definitely am probably less harsh than you this time around. Uh, I give it a two out of five. And I think the two out of five is because for a couple of performances, I think Dee Wallace, her performance is not the best. I agree with you in the beginning. They're alive. Really? Like, how do they get past this point? Uh, There's a couple of other little things that we touched upon as we went through the podcast that's kind of like, this doesn't make much sense. Like, why are we doing what? Why is the flow kind of the way that it is? It's still, even though it makes a little more sense to me, I still feel like, like you said, it's two different movies, you know, completely. And it sucks that it became two different movies because of Sid Haig, you know, and that sucks. And and, uh, it's not his fault. It's not Sid's fault. It's nobody's fault, but you had to correct the course. How do you correct the course? You do something completely different. I think that the Black Satans are wasted. I think that they're they're only there to be fodder. There isn't anything else super special about them, um, other than that's the son of Danny Trejo. Like, right. do you really need him? Uh, maybe not. But and it, part of me also, and I don't put it towards the crap factor, but I feel like part of me wanted them to not survive at the end of the movie. We could have had a different kind of movie. Um, this movie felt like, and, and, and I say this with love, um, but it felt like an attempt to be another Devil's Rejects movie in the essence of we need a villain introduced that's worse than the Devil's Rejects so that now we can root for the Devil's Rejects and they can become our good guys. And it would have been interesting to see them sincerely like this be a book cap or a book end of the series and have them not survive, you know? But yeah. I still, I love it for what it is. And there, again, I, I give it a three out of five, which is more harsh than you, which I'm astounded. Now I'm all mad at myself, but <laughs> the thing, it, it, I'm trying to look at it through that lens. And there's just things that you can't deny. You can love it for what it is, but some of these things, they were just thrown together to make the movie what we got. And I had read, and I don't want to ramble on, but Lionsgate was not going to help make this movie or Saban or whoever it was. Somebody was not going to help make this movie if Sid Haig wasn't at least in it. And so he couldn't just rewrite it completely. And that's probably Saban. Saban's probably, you know, because they probably gave some money to it. It wasn't completely funded by him. You know, Saban does a lot of these um, uh, Fathom event type movies. Because I think Saban also helped fund a little bit of Kevin Smith's Sound J reboot. They they funded also 31, um, which, uh, you know, we may hear about soon. Um, But it's... Yeah, I, I can totally. It it sucks that that's the way that it went. Um, it, it's not that, and I don't believe that you being harsher than me needs you to be upset at yourself. There's there's no need for that. It's just I can understand it, uh, and uh, I just I wish that I wish some things were maybe a little clearer um, and didn't feel as rushed. For sure. It. Uh, so the last thing is the fun factor of the movie. What would you give the fun factor of this movie? So I'm going to be very specific to my own loving and I give it a straight five out of five because when you tell me that this is almost a two hour movie, it doesn't feel like it to me. It may be two movies mashed into one, but I have fun from beginning to end. And that's just because I love these characters and I enjoy going on the adventures that they go on. So I would give this movie uh, a four out of five on the fun factor. 
I think that the the characters are still great. I think that the uh, you know the journey getting towards the end is still really fun. Um, I think that like like you've mentioned plenty of times, there are way too many times to connect to it. That there are those again, just like the Devil's Rejects. There's those fun family moments that you've gotten there where you have the 2D fucking fruity moment. It, it's it's in here again, and that does also you know go to your. It's not like uh, a bad thing of him trying to recreate the Devil's Rejects. He's wanting to put these moments again, and he has a couple extra ones in there. And it's it also is fun to see, uh, you know, Otis go from not just being the brother, but being the father figure for all three of them, or well, the two of them, you know, in this film. Even though I don't know if saying fun is the way to do it, you know that, but it's at least interesting, and uh, it makes for an entertaining film. It does. And it's always fun to see how many people pop up in these movies. Yep, exactly. So overall, what would you give the film? Well, to no surprise, I have to go with a perfect rating of just how I love this movie. So I'm going to give it five baggy britches. Oh, five baggy britches. Stinky bitches, you got baggy britches. Oh, wait, that's a different thing. Get stitches? Yeah. Um, I'm definitely going a little less than you because this is, well, I like this movie a lot. Um, I still don't know if I can change where I feel from it. And for me, it's three out of five motherfuckers is what it is. Um, it's, I, I still think that it has its potential and maybe, and like you said, I think that it, that score may change the more I see it. Cause I think going through this again, so in, in all technicality, I have now officially seen this movie four times because saw it in the theater, watched it on my own. Now, when I got, I watched it again to get all the fucking audio clips. And now we've just gone through it, the whole thing, again, for a podcast. And I like it more. But I still feel that some of the the negatives still outweigh it in some way, shape, or form. So I'm still keeping it on average. It's still a good movie. I think that people should see it. It's available out there for everybody to watch. No, most people have access to or have a Shutter subscription. So watch it. If you've seen the other two, why haven't you seen this yet? Everybody listening to this podcast has definitely seen it, so we love you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, with that all being said, we are done with the Fireflies. That's it. We're done with the, that part of that with Rob Zombie. So, we got one more Rob Zombie film before we end our Rob Zombie ween. We, and then after that, we'll have one special film, of course, for Halloween. Because why wouldn't we do a movie for Halloween, you know? We have to do something for that. Might as well just make it all five. So Might as well. But hey, Brian, one thing I want to say is we had a couple of choices, and it was really hard to narrow it down. Like, oh. we could have done just so many good things. And there's movies I love, there's movies you love, but we had to meet in the middle, and we know what it is. Yeah, so this is kind of our discussion of what movie are we going to do? So what we had to think of another Rob Zombie film to do. What Rob Zombie film are we going to do? Um, I don't know. Uh I know, Dave, you want to do Lords of Satan. Yeah, or Lords of Salem. Sorry, not Satan. Lords of Salem. We could do that. He was pushing for that. I was pushing for the haunted world, the haunted world of El Superbisto, because it's a wacky, crazy animated flick. And if you've never seen it, it's it's just insane. And I thought it'd be fun. And then both of us were like, well, I guess we're gonna meet in the middle, and we're gonna meet at 31.
Now you may think you see a grease-painted performer sitting before you, but trust me, I'm not here to brighten your dismal day. I am here to end your miserable life. You know, all in all, you've had a pretty good run. Deep down inside, you must have known. You digging what you see, Pops? I reckon I do. <laughs> it all had to end somewhere. Might as well be now. What the hell is this? Tonight, we are going to play 31. And all you have to do is survive 12 hours of our own private hell. Say we hunt these freaks down and slit their throats. We have ourselves a game. Murder school? Oh, it's now in session. Thirty-one is war. And war is In hell, everybody loves popcorn. So, yep, we're doing 31 for the end of the Zombie Ween segment of October. And uh, I'm actually looking forward to this because it's been a while since I've seen this. Um, it is currently available on Tubi for free. Uh, it is also available on Shutter still. If you have Shutter, so you could watch it on there. So without ads on Shutter, with ads on Tubi, but even with ads, it's worth the watch. Um, and it's not many ads, you know, because it is an R-rated movie. You will need an account. That's the only way they do with Tubi stuff, which is really weird. But hey, it is what it is. Um, at least as of this recording, it's on there. It's also available on things like if you want to rent it or buy it, you know, Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, whatnot. Um, but I'm looking forward to to talking about that. And um, yeah, well, just like the some of the previous episodes, I think we're going to leave off plugs uh, for this one. But, um, you know, don't forget to check everything out that we've done uh, before. If you've missed for some reason the other episodes, go back and make sure that you check out the uh, other Rob Zombie episodes that we've done before. And uh, Dave, do you have anything else to add this time? Just piggyback off what you said, man. And, you know, this movie is so good. Just go out there and buy it because 31 is awesome. And, yep, so we'll have some fun next time watching 31. And we'll see you for the next episode of Rob Zombie Halloween. Take care of yourself and each other.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.